All right. Hello. Welcome back to Unqualified Analysis. This show is zero credentials, zero qualifications. That just keeps firing off takes anyways. Hey, today I got another college football episode for you because it is Thursday. That would just make a whole lot of sense for you. And uh, it was rivalry week, so a whole lot of stuff happened. We're going to be attacking it a little bit differently because it is kind of end of the school year, end of the semester sort of thing. So things are a little bit different. Some of these games, the results simply don't matter. Others just don't have time to get to. In other cases... I mean, the coaching changes are more important than the actual games on the field. So we're going to be, like I said, attacking this a little bit differently today. But absolutely loaded chock full episode for you today. We got Vegas coming around to my side of the Heisman race, a chaotic rivalry week, and the coaching carousel that just keeps on spinning around. We got all of that and more coming up on this week's episode of Unqualified Analysis, college football edition. But before we get into any of that good stuff in the college football world, let's recap Monday night and wrap up week 12 in the NFL. The Monday Night Recap. And on Monday night, we had the Steelers versus the Colts. Not exactly the most shining record matchup there. I believe it was 4-6 and six versus 3-7. and seven. So, Well, 4-6-1, and one, excuse me, versus 3-7. and seven. No one over there. The Steelers didn't tie anyone. But still, two pretty sad records overall, but ended up being an all right game. Both these teams played pretty similar styles. I mean, these were just two teams that didn't want the other team to have the ball. And I think the Steelers ended up doing that a little bit better in the first half. Colts started doing it a little bit better in the second half. The difference is one of those teams had a young QB, a young mobile QB at that. And the other had a guy who was probably in his last season and might need to have out routes removed from the uh, from the, the playbook due to arm strength concerns. I was, I mean, I, I looked at my dad last night and watching the game said, I mean, there was a, it was a great play by corner that I saw. I think it was the interception. Um, but also Matt, Matt Ryan's given him a lot of time to, to make up for that, uh, that ground. I think Michael Pittman ran a good route and the corner just broke on it because it took him about, I don't know, five years for the ball to get there. It's just, yeah, Matt, Matt Ryan, this, this needs to be the last year, unless you're going into coaching, which I don't know why you would, you've made entirely too much money, money to go that route, unless someone's just going to hand you a head coaching job. But, uh, Hey, as far as being a starting quarterback is concerned, Probably wouldn't even be the starter in in uh, Indy if there were any other options. So this might be the uh, well. This is probably the death knell as far as uh, uh, the last year of his career goes. That's probably be a pretty dark way to put it. But I digress. Uh, the Colts had a chance at the end though. Saturday is going to get some shit for uh, running the clock all the way down. I mean, I think he even admitted afterwards in the in the press conference on Monday, Tuesday, whenever it happened, um, that he. Went back, watched the tape. The team was in disarray. Probably should have taken a timeout on that third down uh, before all that happened there. Honestly, I was, I was, I was being a bad podcaster. I was looking at my phone. I was, I was going through Twitter. I was more concerned with with the lulls on Twitter than I was with the actual um, game on the field at certain points. I hate to admit that, but that's just kind of what it was. Uh, at the end of the day, though, your boy, not not a pick that I put out there, but I have been. Red hot with just looking at these games last second once you get all the lineups in there, like an hour before kickoff and being like, all right, outside of the minus money people, who is going to score a touchdown, preferably between plus 100 and plus 200? I have been red hot, red, red hot, I say, scolding hot, I say, on those anytime touchdown bets. I was, I hit like 
two or three of them on, on Sunday. I hit a couple of them on, on Thanksgiving Day games. Last night it was Najee Harris. I had Jamal Williams on Thursday. Uh, I think I think I messed up in the in the Giants game and, and picked someone that didn't end up scoring. But either way, it was a big day for your boy. It was CeeDee Lamb that I ended up taking that I, I don't think ended up scoring a touchdown. Either way, hot on that front, not so much on the gambling front. I'm not even sure what, what I was saying there. But either way... I totally, totally just went off script there, but we are getting back on schedule. Jeff Saturday, he wanted to make sure that that the game was either going to the end, or going to end rather, or going to go to OT after that possession. So I understand why he ran the clock down, didn't take the timeout. He obviously didn't want to give Kenny Pickett a chance at a rebuttal in the last possession. And you think about it, just looking at the situation there, you get the you get the first down. Um, they're on the Steelers, 25 at the very worst, maybe even closer to the 20, but depending on how good that, that play was on like fourth and whatever it was there, fourth and one, I think it was. Uh, just under 30 seconds left, you got one timeout because you got to take one to stop the clock. Or if you hit a hit a route on the sidelines, um, you got two timeouts right there uh, with a chance to go down and score. One timeout left, chance to go to score TD. That's that's a good, good situation right there. You're actually in a really good p- position uh, there at the end of the game. I actually don't really hate this strategy. I just, you know, watching the actual game, a little bit of disarray, like like Jeff Saturday said. So probably want the timeout there. Probably just burn it. You got the timeout. Might as well use it. So uh, just go ahead and, and do that. But out, outside of that, I mean, I don't hate the strategy. Don't don't really hate it at all. I can see where he was coming from. Uh, he didn't get the fourth down, and you know that's kind of. The whole crux of the strategy is getting that first down on the on the fourth down. So we'll never know if it would have worked out, but I I don't hate where he was coming from there, uh, even though he's getting a lot of shit for it. And I I know it was fourth and three, but my main gripe would be with Parks Frazier not getting the ball in Jonathan Taylor's hands. Quite frankly, I I don't understand how he's the best player on the team, and they just repeatedly over and over and no matter who the play caller is. They just keep getting away from Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. He did get a bunch of touches in this one, so there is still that. He is still the centerpiece of the team. But in the the most clutch situation, Parks Frazier called a pass, and Matt Ryan threw it to Paris Campbell. That cannot happen on a, on a fourth and three. I don't care what it is. I, if I've got Taylor on my team, and it's within four yards, I'm living and dying with that, man. I don't care if it's a run, a screen, regular old check down route or a swing pass. Just get 28 the damn ball with the game on the line. I think he can get you a better opportunity than than throwing a pass to Paris Campbell that just harmlessly falls incomplete. Get the ball in Jonathan Taylor's hands. He's the only guy outside of maybe Michael Pittman, uh, Jelani Woods, who we'll talk about here in a second, that really, I mean, he's the best player in the entire offense. Get Get him the ball. It shouldn't be Shouldn't be that hard of a concept, but it, they seem to just forget about it time and time again. Final score of this one ended up being 24-17, to 17, by the way. Steelers get the win uh, off of uh, turnover on downs late in the game, uh, preserving the win for them. Could have gone to overtime, we'll never know. Uh, outside of that final sequence, though, a lot, a lot of receiving talent on display last night on both sides of the ball. George Pickens made his weekly jaw-dropping sideline catch, so what else is new? I mean, he... Does it one-handed, two-handed? Uh, this time, he just made a ridiculous circus catch on the sidelines where he was just like falling out of bounds, and you know, did did that sort, did that whole thing, kept the, the feet in bounds and everything like that. That's just kind of what we come to expect from him. And when Pickett gets a line in front of him, 
and some development under his belt, holy hell is George Pickens going to put up some numbers. He could be he could be a top 10, top 5 sort of wide receiver in this league. He is that sort of special athlete, both size, speed, quickness, you name it. He is just a physical freak out there. And I mean, I, say, I said it before, I'll say it again. In the immortal words of Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the roof for this kid, George Pickens, man. He is something special. Probably need to draft another uh, a wide receiver to, to kind of fill out the receiving core for us, the Steelers, going forward. I mean, they got the technician and Deontay Johnson out there. Uh, got a physical freak in George Pickens who can kind of move, move the sticks with both of those sorts of styles. Hell, they even got a quality all-around tight end in Pat Fryermuth that can, you know, block when you need him to, catch passes when you need him to as well. Just a solid all-around guy. Similar, I mean, in that same sort of Jeff, not Jeff Heath, um, Heath Miller role, excuse me. I don't know why I had Jeff Heath on the brain, but I digress on that front. Got all those pieces. They really just need a guy who can take the top off the defense, like a, a burner out there. I mean, get a 4-2, 4-3 guy on the outside, uh, similar to what Christian Watson is right now with the Packers. Just tell him either run straight or run a crosser. Either way, we're going to get you open. We just need a guy that can run faster than anyone that they put in front of him on the other side of the ball. They can, just given the, the Steelers' track record drafting uh, wide receivers, I think they're probably going to end up taking someone there uh, as far as a, a wide receiver. And they've been so good at it, I have no question in my mind they're going to end up being a productive player to some extent. And uh, it's going to be right back to the vintage Steelers receiving core if they can get another guy to take that top off the uh, off the off the defense. Jesus, easy for me to, to think out loud right there. But... Um, yeah, right now they're just not quite not quite there. They don't have an offensive line, really. Uh, Kenny Pickett is young, so there's a lot of good young pieces there. Not really a playoff team, but they're bringing it together. They still got a great defensive line. Uh, interested to see where that whole uh, receiving core ends up melding into over the years down the road, especially with this new regime in there at GM. Uh, as far as the Colts receivers, though, Michael Pittman kind of speaks for himself. Physical freak, just kind of run him on short routes, run him on long routes. He's going to catch basically everything you throw at him um, unless you throw it directly to a DB or you just float it out there so so slowly that the DB can just kind of like sit in front of it, uh, wipe his hands on his pants, uh, gauge it for a second, look down at his feet to make sure he's in bounds, uh, eat a sandwich, check the time, and then put his hands up to catch the ball. That's, that's kind of all the time that you're giving him right now. So unless that's happening, you put it up in his general vicinity and uh, Michael Pittman Jr. is going to absolutely maul some people. But Jelani Woods... That's a guy, I don't know, I mean, Indianapolis circles love the guy. Indianapolis circles are calling for more of him in the off offense. But people outside of Indianapolis need to know how much of a goddamn alien Jelani Woods is. And I think he's like 6'7", 6'8", thick body. He doesn't look like he should be able to run. But goddamn, he led the team in receiving yards. And, and yes, a lot of that has to do with having an arm strength deficient QB and Matt Ryan back there. But just watching this guy run... He has absolutely no business being as big as he is, as thick as his body is, and being as fast and quick as he is. I mean, it is it is insane to watch him play football. Feels like he should probably have been a basketball player somewhere, just lose the weight and just body some people down in the paint. I mean, they can find a place for him as long as he can just 3 and D some guys to death. I guess he couldn't do that, though, so... We in football got the opportunity to get an absolute gem of an athlete down there. I'm not sure he's quite on that that Jimmy Graham level of like crazy athlete coming in, but he's six seven. He reminds me of like 
not necessarily, I'm not calling him the Hall of Famer right now, but he has a similar sort of skill set and build to Antonio Gates, just a little bit taller and bigger. Like, he's got that thick body like Antonio Gates had. He runs and is quicker than, than you would expect, Like just like Antonio Gates was. I don't know what his ceiling is, but that's that's the comp right there. And I You have got something there. I don't know. I, I think if Indy can get a consistent quarterback option in there, if they can maybe draft a guy... I think you're probably done going to the uh, going to the well as far as free agency and trades are concerned. I think you just go ahead, bite the bullet, and draft a QB this year. But whoever they bring in there, if they get a good guy in there, I mean, Jelani Woods might turn into a bona fide star, not just at the local level, but at the national level. And I, I cannot wait. I hope they figured out a QB because that is a guy that deserves quality QB play. He is... He is, I, I don't know how good he ends up being. I don't know how good his numbers end up being. It all ends up being about opportunity. But my God, is he a special sort of uh, talent in there at the, at the tight end position. I don't know how good his blocking is going to be, but I mean, might not matter if his pass catching ends up being as good as it looks like he might be. Uh, that being said, uh, wrapping up the week 12 stuff. What did I miss? A couple things, uh, a couple big things. First off, the entire Thanksgiving slate outside of the Vikings game. I just totally forgot that uh, the the Giants and Cowboys played and the Lions and Bills played. I don't don't know why I did that. Don't don't know why I didn't go back and at least say what the results were. But uh, Danny Dimes backdoor cover. That's the main thing that happened there. Really, the people there the teams that were expected to win won. They just didn't cover, which is great for your boy as far as the picks are concerned. Uh, made my family go back to the the Giants game. The last like 30 seconds of the game watching essentially meaningless play down the goal line where Danny Jones hit Richie James to, to get the backdoor cover. And I am not ashamed to say I jumped off the couch, did a fist bump and did a whole on. Yeah. I mean, that's more of a, that's more of a celebration than I did for just about uh, any play that happened in the Vikings game or the Mississippi state game for that matter, which is, is saying something about my degenerate gambling. But I'm not gambling the house, so I gamble the beer money, not the rent money. Just moderate your gambling, folks. You, too, can be a degenerate and not lose everything you own. Just aspire to that. Uh, or maybe not either way. Uh, that being said, that's basically how it was in the, in the Giants game. They absolutely got dominated by the by the Cowboys. Uh, as far as the other game, I mean, these Lions, man, they, they barely lost. They hung in there till the very, very end, though. And they did, they were, there were times there where they looked like they might come away with the win. Uh, they recognized that Josh Allen is hobbled and they made him look hobbled again. Um, still not sure why they haven't tried to rest him there in Buffalo at least once, but it kind of is what it is now. I think you just kind of made the bed. You got to sleep in it. So they're going to keep rolling with him, I suppose. Um, that being said, they did end up on the back of Tyler Bass going down there, uh, getting the game-winning field goal, I think it was. I think that I can't remember if, if uh, Detroit tied it and then the Bills went down and, and got it done. Actually, yes, that's exactly what happened. I remember the Bills went down, tied it to look like they were going to send it to overtime, and I saw 30 seconds left and I want to say two or three timeouts. And this casual sitting next to me, God bless him, he's a nice guy, but he just doesn't watch a whole lot of football, said, wow, looks like the Lions are going to be there. They're going to win this game. And then I looked at the clock, looked at the timeouts, and said, Josh Allen's going to go down and win this. And that is precisely what happened. It is it is uncanny how quickly it happened, too. They had a big return, and then it didn't take much after the big return. I think it was just one or two completions, bop, bop down the field, got in field goal range, 
Big Ball Bass comes out, hits the game winner. Let's all go home and eat some turkey. It was quite a performance there from Josh Allen down the stretch, which is really the hallmark of a great QB. What more can I say there? But that's uh, that's the other stuff that went on in Thanksgiving there. We'll talk about the, the Egg Bowl here in just a second. But uh, yeah, that, that was Thanksgiving. Also, the Sean Taylor quote-unquote statue. Um, can't believe I missed this. and I'm, I'm sorry. Hand up. My fault. Totally wanted to get to it. Uh, totally didn't write it down and totally forgot about it. So, we got to get to it now. Um, I put the, the, the word statue in quotations because if you saw the, um, the pictures of this, this quote-unquote statue, um, it's not so much a statue as much as it is a mannequin that they, they dressed in kind of similar uniform to what Sean Taylor wore. Um, one, not the right brand of cleats. They got a, I don't know what the, his usual brand is, but just listening from um, actual fans of the team, which admittedly I am not, um, he wore a different brand of cleats. It was soccer cleats, so they got that right, but it was a different brand of soccer cleats. I'm guessing that the ones that Sean Taylor wore just too expensive for Dan Snyder, so had to go with a different pair. Probably the one that cost $40 as opposed to like 200 or whatever it was, if we're, if we're going based on trends of what Dan Snyder has done in the past. Um... And they got just a generic jersey from the uh, the gift store out there, uh, random ass helmet, and some football pants, and put it on a mannequin. And here we go. Looks like looks like Dan Snyder spent a total of about twenty bucks and a pack of cigarettes that he he bribed a doorman with. That was that was about it. That that was, it seemed to be about all he spent. And you know what? This is pretty much. Like if you want a snapshot of of what the Dan Snyder regime is in Washington. This entire incident is pretty much just an, an encapsulation of what you get from the guy. Anytime, I mean, the, the heat is on. One, you're going to you're going back to the well. You're going to Sean Taylor. Either you retire the jersey number, um, you put him up in the ring of honor. Either way, when the going gets tough, go look in the past. They're they're turning to Sean Taylor. They're going with they're going with the sympathy card there. Um, they tried it again this time, but Dan Snyder was such a just terrible cheap ass that he couldn't fork over he couldn't fork over the money to make a real like bronze statue or or a brass statue out there no 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 no. he couldn't spend that sort of money he couldn't hire the sculptor he couldn't do such a thing like that that would just be entirely too expensive no i'm gonna spend uh 50 bucks on accoutrement uh, maybe I'll make the jersey myself just to save a little bit more money. Then we're gonna take, we're gonna go to some department store that's closing down, buy a mannequin on closeout for like five bucks or something like that. Uh, maybe go over to some creepy guy's house and, and get one of those mannequins that he's not using anymore to to have sex with. Um, then we're just gonna bring it over here, put it in the glass box, and we're gonna dress it up so no one no one knows it's anything cheap like that. They'll they'll buy this hook, line, and sinker. No one's gonna remember that you know. We're, we're duping our, our fellow investors and fellow NFL owners out of money, and uh, we're creating a hostile work environment basically every day, and nothing's changed between regimes. I mean, what? I mean, everyone's going to forget about that when they see this bomb-ass Sean Taylor statue. And um, I'm not sure what else I can say about that, man. That is just a snapshot. That is the Dan Snyder regime. Uh, I think everyone in hell, even if you're like in Baltimore and you're a Ravens fan, you cannot wait until the the stink of Dan Snyder is gone from that entire area. I don't know if he's ever going to be gone 
totally, quote-unquote. He is still a massive billionaire, and he was a billionaire before he came to the NFL, so his business is still probably going to live on and leech off the people of uh, Prince George's County and really just Maryland in general uh, for time immemorial. But, um... You know what? At the very least, he's not going to be running the team anymore, and you don't have to see his damn face in relation to your beloved team. So that's a win in my book. Uh, that being said, I think I've been rambling on entirely too long right now. I'm 20 minutes in, so yeah, that, that about tracks with what I usually do. Uh, from there, let's go. Let's get into some college football, shall we? First and foremost, we are going to go with a Heisman update before we get into the actual games themselves. Uh, big time, I told you so, week for your boy. I'll tell you what, Vegas was telling you C.J. Stroud should be the favorite last week. I thought not so much. I was telling you Caleb Williams is the guy. He's got the inside track. And Well, guess who's minus 2,200 now to win the last I check. Uh, that was Caleb Williams. The public picks might not be uh, on, on a moment. Well, they might have a momentary cold streak right now. It might be uh, a bit cold at the moment, but... But, 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 I had this one dead on the money last week, so suck it, line makers. I'm smarter than you sometimes, just not necessarily always on a public platform. Uh, that being said, I'm going to go through this segment a little bit differently than in the last couple times because at this point, it's going to take an act of God to keep Williams from winning the Heisman, just based on how things shook out. So, because of that, I'm going to lay out how Caleb Williams did with his solid performance, then kind of go through the list of all the, the contenders from last week, and how they just folded in the rivalry week. No rankings this time, just basically Caleb Williams, then everyone else, because everyone else is playing for second at this point. But uh, here is how it all happened. First off, obviously, starting with Caleb Williams, the biggest, obviously the biggest winner of the week. He went 18 of 22 uh, for 232 yards, 10.5 yards per attempt, four total touchdowns, one through the air, three on the ground, and no turnovers on the day versus probably the best defense he's faced all year in Notre Dame. Absolutely impressive performance. The most efficient he's been all year versus the best defense. Awesome, awesome to see. Uh, on the season, he's got 3,712 yards, uh, 9.1 yards per attempt, just below 66% completion percentage, and 44 total touchdowns. That's 33 through, 34 through the air and 10 on the ground to just three interceptions. He has been insanely efficient, especially down the stretch of this year. And he's facing a Utah team this week who he torched last time they played. Absolutely lit that secondary on fire to the tune of five touchdowns, no interceptions on the road. So even if USC loses, I think he'll still uh, clinch the Heisman with a big-time performance. I think at least three or four touchdowns in this one in all likelihood, and he's going to put this one to bed. I think, you know, just for the ego perspective, he might be gunning for 50 in this one. There's all sorts of possibilities there, though, because this, I mean, Cam Rising always plays up to this game. We'll talk about that in the previews in, in, a, in a bit here, down the road a little bit at the end of this one. But, um... This is going to be a fun, fun game. I I mean, Caleb Williams is probably going to have a big-time performance. Utah's offense is probably going to have a big-time performance. Uh, the only thing is for certain, like I said, it's going to take an act of God to keep Caleb Williams from winning the Heisman right now. I think even if he gets like a season-ending injury in the, God forbid, I mean, knock on wood, let's, let's hope that doesn't happen. I hate that I just put that out into the universe, but if, God forbid, it did... 
I think you'd still end up winning the Heisman just based off of how how much everyone else fell off last week. And now, most of them don't even have an opportunity to go out there and take the damn thing anymore. But let's just go down the list here. Starting with C.J. Stroud, the guy that I just talked about uh, was in the lead last week. He went 31 of 48, uh, 349 yards, 7.3 yards per attempt, but just two touchdowns, two interceptions. That's just not going to cut it. I mean, the raw numbers aren't terrible, but his team got buzzsawed, bulldozed, run over by Michigan, and with no chance at, at, at one last good impression in championship week for the Heisman voters to think of before they cast their, their final ballots, that was probably enough to not only knock Stroud out of the lead, but knock him out of the finalists altogether. Maybe that's just my bias kicking in, because he is still second on the list, but he's not going to get an impression this week. He's not going to be able to go out there and put on another big performance versus a weaker opponent in the Big Ten title game. Corum's going to be able to do that, but we'll talk about how he stumbled in just a second. Not necessarily his fault, but it is what it is there. Um, the guys that are in there right now, like Max Duggan, uh, Stetson Bennett, both of those guys are going to be in the in the title game. They're going to have opportunities to put out a good performance for uh, the voters before they cast their final belts. That's just not what C.J. Stroud's going to have. Maybe that'll matter. Maybe it won't. Uh, I feel like that's only going to hurt him, though, when, when it's all said and done. And um, Blake Corum, up next. Somehow, we found the, the secret formula where neither Heisman candidate in the OSU-Michigan game came out looking better. Both of them lost ground. Uh, Corum, like I said, not necessarily his fault. Suited up, but he got just two touches in the game. I think he got both of those early and then just wasn't right from, from the sounds of it. So, he was... Limited, didn't really play the entire game with an ankle injury, I want to say. I don't know exactly what the injury is, but it's one that's been nagging him for a while. Uh, one of those that you just want to be, be careful with, if nothing else. And you got Donovan Edwards behind him, so uh, he came in, had an, a highlight performance out of the backfield with a monster, monster game running the football. We'll get to that actual game here in just a second, but Donovan Edwards, to say he, he put the team on his back down the stretch would be an understatement. But again, we'll get to that there in just a second. Blake Corum, with the performance he just had, he is going to be in the Big Ten title game, so he's got a shot. But like I said before, this is a quarterback award, so I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. Uh, and up next, Bo Nix down here at the, the fourth spot. He is... He went 27 to 41, 327 yards through the air, uh, 8.0 yards per attempt, excuse me for stumbling over that one, uh, two touchdowns, no turnovers on the day. Overall, probably the second best performance of the contenders. Uh, the big problem is that uh, it came in a losing effort. So now Bo Nix won't get to play in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, he's got a 9-3 team now. It is what it is, but great season probably done. Pro probably done as far as the the Heisman is concerned. I don't even think he's going to end up sniffing the finalists just because, again, doesn't have that final opportunity to impress the committee in that, that final week of the season. Uh, Vegas's new top four, by the way, is uh, Caleb Williams, prohibitive favorite, like minus 3,000, I think now. I don't know what, what it ended up being. I th minus 2,200 on the place that I saw. Uh, minus 3,000 yesterday in some of the places that I was listening to. So, a bit of mixed signals there, but I digress. Uh, C.J. Stroud still holding strong at number two. Uh, Max Duggan at three. And then Stetson Bennett coming in at four. Uh, I think they only take three Heisman finalists. I could be wrong. So, my guess is, I mean, Williams is locked, obviously. I think he might be a lock to win the Heisman at this point. I mean, Vegas is certainly telling you so, but they've told you different things in the past, haven't they? Um, 
CJ Stroud, I think, is the odd man out here just because he's the one that is not going to get the uh, the championship weekend opportunity. That being said, that's that's the picture right there. It looks like Caleb Williams is going to run away with this thing, but who's to say what happens? Maybe an act of God does happen in this final week. We'll just have to tune in to find out. But with that, let's finally hop into the uh, the actual games here in the college football week, shall we? Because it was a fun one. Rivalry week. Alrighty, and kicking off the Rivalry Week festivities, I'm taking this Southern accent and uh, taking it up to the, the northern states a little bit there. Uh, this time, we're not going to a place that necessarily has that accent. We're going to Ohio, so it's just a little, hey, Bob, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what an Ohio accent sounds like. I got a Midwestern accent. I don't have an Ohio accent. I got a Southern accent, too, but I can kind of float between them. I'm really just floating. I mean, my brain is just floating, fluttering around like a little butterfly out there, but I don't know. Where else will we start? Number three, Michigan versus number two, Ohio State. Biggest game of the day, and it came at the earliest possible time in the slate again don't know why they do this but you know what it is what it is and we still I would say we got a dandy but we got a drubbing instead it was great first half but the second half all one team not the other OSU made the decision early that they weren't going to let the running game beat them just loading the box. I think they were getting like one yard per carry in the first half was Michigan. Uh, they were going to force J.J. McCarthy to beat them with his arm. And, well, that is exactly what he ended up doing. J.J. McCarthy hit two big old bombs to Cornelius Washington. One for 69 yards and a touchdown. The other for 75 yards and a touchdown to keep Michigan afloat in that first half. Go down just, just three points going into halftime, even with having just like one yard per carry when that's your bread and butter all year. Then he hit a 45-yard bomb to Colston Loveland to take the lead on the first possession of the third quarter, and they didn't look back from there. He capped off a nearly eight-minute long drive with his legs for his fourth total TD for the, uh, the day, uh, this time a rushing touchdown to take the, a commanding 31-20 lead, and from there, Donovan Edwards did the rest. In in place of Blake Corum, didn't have, he was quiet for what, three quarters, would you say? Only, I mean, still, solid performance there initially with like, what, uh, 60, 70 yards initially going into the fourth quarter. He could, he could maybe make 100 yards, right? Well, he smashed that, ladies and gentlemen. When it came time to close this thing out, Edwards ripped off a 75-yard touchdown to put Michigan back up two scores after Ohio State drove down, got a field goal to bring it within eight points. Donovan Edwards snuffed that out quickly with the 75-yard touchdown before on the very next possession after an Ohio State interception, specifically C.J. Stroud, if we're going to be, be pulling out names here, he hit the dagger on an 85-yard touchdown run that put Michigan up 45-23 to in that mark margin would hold. Edwards had 167 rushing yards and two touchdowns combined on the final two true offensive possessions for Michigan. He did that on four carries. Just four. That's all it took. He just wanted it more than Ohio State's team, and that Ohio State defense could not do anything with Donovan Edwards in the in the fourth quarter. It was a spectacular closeout performance. That's about as clutch of a performance from a from a back coming out of the backfield as you're going to ever see in this in this sport. I mean, that is shades of Hassan, Hassan Haskins to a certain extent. I mean, obviously, he's not getting five touchdowns like Hassan Haskins did last year, but he is still absolutely, I mean, he absolutely closed this game out, won the game, I mean, made it a blowout all by himself down the stretch there. Who knows what happens if you put the game in J.J. McCarthy's hands, but Edwards just absolutely, when you needed him the most, came on strong and got the job done. That final score held, like I said before, is Michigan 
buries Ohio State 45-23 to to clinch their berth in the Big Ten title game. And key takeaways from this one, because, I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole stat sheet. I mean, really, the only thing I need to go through, first off, J.J. McCarthy, 263 yards, 11 yards per attempt, four total touchdowns. That all kind of speaks for itself there. He had a hell of a performance, probably well, definitely the best performance of his young career there at Michigan. Donovan Edwards was a star, though. 216 yards, just short of 10 yards per carry. Two touchdowns on the day. Absolutely shredded that Ohio State defense in the fourth quarter, just particularly on those two last like consequential drives on offense that Michigan had there. He just put the team on his back and just made sure Michigan buried that team. It was so damn impressive. But as far as Michigan is concerned, it's right there in front of them. Once again, all they have to do is hit the easy putt and win versus Purdue. They don't necessarily have to cover. They don't have to make it pretty. They just got to win. If you win by one point, that's enough, I think, in my book. You're an undefeated team. You go 13-0 and and you're a conference champion. That is about as much of a lock into the playoff as you can with a, with a non-specific um, criteria for making the playoff. I mean... Them and Georgia are about as much of locks as you can get going into championship week. I think if Michigan loses, it becomes a little bit more um becomes a little bit a little bit more interesting than if Georgia loses. If Georgia loses, I think you just they're shooing, they're in no matter what. If Michigan loses, there's an argument to be made that they could be out. I think they still end up getting in, but there's an argument to be made. Either way, that's about as close of a lock as you can get at this point to being in the playoff. They will be in the playoff. It's just interesting to see. What are they going to do against the top-level teams again this year? Are they going to go get absolutely housed by Georgia again? Or is J.J. McCarthy good enough to take what he did against Ohio State and do that against a superior defensive opponent? Probably going to have to do it against Georgia if you want to go to the promised land here uh, in all likelihood. That being said, with where they are now, if they just keep on winning, they might not have to deal with that problem until the championship game. So, fingers crossed on that one if you are a Michigan fan. Uh, As far as Ohio State is concerned, attrition might work in their favor, but Ohio State's playoff hopes are totally up in the air right now. Again, they've only lost one game, but this was kind of what this game was. Basically, loser goes home. Um... Winner has basically an inside track of going to the playoffs. So probably going to end up being Ohio State out there. They still have a good chance just because of what the nature of what uh, championship week is. I mean, any of any one of these teams, specifically I'm thinking of uh, USC, TCU, hell, Georgia. I mean, well, Georgia, that, that would be, that would take a whole lot for Georgia to get upset, but it's all possible. Any one of those teams, if they lose... Ohio State's going to take their spot. I mean, especially if USC loses, Ohio State's going to take that spot. If TCU loses and they're a one-loss non-conference champion, well, guess what? So is Ohio State. So I think Ohio State takes that spot just because they've been more dominant against teams they're supposed to beat down this year, whether that's fair or not. I think you can kind of give Big 12 credit in that sense for being a a better conference overall, but that's just kind of how the committee's going to see it, I'll tell you. So they're going to need some... Going to need some magic down the stretches from their perspective or probably the worst possible case scenario from other teams' perspective. But again, it is all a matter of perspective, I suppose. Um, they're going to need a miracle to uh, to get to the, the playoffs, I think. But it's all possible. It's all there. Just need some chaos for it to happen. And in that same vein, Alabama's not totally out of it either. They, they need even more chaos to get in. But, I mean, they're still... I don't know if right there is the right way to describe it, but they only have two losses, so... 
They would get in over Clemson. They're probably the best two-loss team out there right now if you had to go down the list. I mean, Oregon would be right up there, but they just lost their third game, so they're now a 9-3 and team, not even a chance. I mean, they're not even in the Pac-12 title games, so not even a chance of making the playoff at this point. Um, it's just kind of wait-and-see mode right now. You're not going to get a chance to, to go out there and, and earn it yourself this weekend, so you just got to kind of sit at home, watch the scoreboard, and... Hope some of these underdogs pull off uh, upsets this week. That's really the only thing that's gonna gonna maybe get you over the hump and get you into the playoffs here. Uh, moving on though, next big rivalry of this week. Uh, talked about it there briefly, but number fifteen Notre Dame versus number six USC. USC took care of business and beat Notre Dame thirty-eight to twenty-seven, and they did so in physical dominant fashion, which is more impressive than just about anything else. They're they're running back. God, his name escapes me right now, but he had himself a hell of a day. Let me just actually pull up the game right now so I can know what the hell I'm talking about. But yeah, Austin Jones, USC running back. You'd think with, with Troy Dye going out, they would have a bit of a drop-off back there running back. Not the case at all. Austin Jones has been a revelation back there ever since Troy Dye went out. Maybe not quite at the level of Troy Dye, but he's putting up that sort of production. I'll tell you what, he had 154 yards in this one. Uh, 6.2 yards per carry. I mean, just an absolute stud out there. And no, no one receiver did did that great, but Caleb Williams was just brilliant from the, the time he stepped on the field until the time he left. I mean, he just put the team on his back, took care of business out there, and Austin Jones did the rest where he couldn't, uh, he couldn't uh, get the job done, I suppose. So, Good game overall from from USC. Really, this is one of those weeks where all they had to do was win, and uh, they were probably going to move up just based on all the all the craziness that was happening around there. But talked about it already in the context of the Heisman race. But it's worth restating here. Holy hell, is Caleb Williams something special? I mean, he makes plays that. I mean, it's crazy. This is probably probably the toughest defense Williams has faced all season. And all he did was go out there and throw for a season high in completion percentage while using his legs to punch in three total touchdowns. Just taken, excuse me, just taken what the defense gives him because they just obviously geared towards the passing game like, hey, you're not going to get down the field shots on us. And all he did was just be efficient as hell. Still got 10 yards per attempt because he was so damn efficient and just burned you with his legs. Didn't necessarily burn you like in the traditional sense, didn't get a whole lot of long runs, but punched it in when you needed him to. I mean, he was absolutely unstoppable. He's been unstoppable since he entered uh, the college football ranks at Oklahoma. But either way, I know we always tend to declare, quote-unquote, the next number one pick in the draft way, way too early. But this time, it just feels different, man. Like, this feels a lot, feels very similar to how it felt with Trevor Lawrence, where didn't quite hop on it after Caleb Williams' freshman year like everyone did with Trevor Lawrence, but I think it took some people to come around and uh, just kind of see how special this kid is. I mean, if Drake May wasn't coming out next year as well, I mean, Caleb Williams would be a the runaway favorite. I mean, he, he wouldn't have to play a down next season. He could just totally mail it in and go to the NFL, and I think he would still be the number one overall pick uh, it, it would be a bit more of a, a race between him and Drake May, but he could be, I mean, he is a generational type of talent. And even with Drake May out there, I would still go with Caleb Williams because quite frankly, what he does physically moving around, changing the arm angles, all of that, I, I watch him. I see him make make these plays that only Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen can do. That's it. Those are the only two. The only two with the combination of the legs and the arm town to make the throws that I see him make. He can just, he can keep velocity on the ball with any platform whatsoever. Uh, he, 
as far as extending plays, using his legs, uh, throwing the ball accurately from weird arm angles, just throwing around defensive linemen like you see all the time from Patrick Mahomes. And he makes the similar types of throws where not necessarily doing the cocky-ass no-look passes, though I would love to see something like that. I mean, I always love to see swagger as far as playing style is concerned. But that being said... Even without that aspect, you see the the types of throws that he makes from the weird arm angles, from the weird sorts of platforms, from everything. The biggest thing with the NFL and being the number one overall pick specifically, you're not going to have a line and you're probably not going to have a whole lot of great receivers. So you're going to have to create some things. Caleb Williams creates some things every single snap he takes, whether it's it ends up being like a big play or just a routine sort of play. In this game, we saw him run like 30 yards behind the line of scrimmage before running back up, completing it for 10 yards. It was third and 20, so it was still fourth and 10 after that. But it, it just goes to show you, he turned a catastrophic play that would have resulted in like a fourth and 40 into a 10-yard game. That is something that you just can't teach. Unlike Zach Wilson, he's doing it against big-time competition. So I have every sort of expectation that he can translate this to the next level. I mean, he is something so, so special. Something like we, I mean, we've seen it before. I just don't know if we've seen anything, if we've gotten like the as much of a bead on it beforehand like we did with this guy. I mean, we, we all kind of slept on Patrick Mahomes just based on the offense that he played in college. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, we might have been a little bit too overhyped on. Caleb Williams is, I, can, I don't know how many times I can say it, but something absolutely special at QB there. And he's, only, he's still got one more year of eligibility. He has to come back for one more year to play at USC. What an embarrassment of riches they got, a, got over there between Lincoln Riley, uh, the NIL money, the transfer stuff. I mean, all of it just going for USC's way right now. They are absolutely all the way back. Um all the way back, by the way, is the USC defense. They're still leading the league in, we're leading the entire country in turnovers this season. They got even more in this one. Uh, wasn't exactly impressive. They did, made Drew Pine look downright dominant in this one. But when you've got a little, you got a guy like, like Williams at QB, sometimes doesn't even matter uh, what the defense does. And they still ended up getting uh, just enough plays in order to get the win. Uh, forced a fumble, forced uh, forced an interception, both from Drew Pine. So that ended up being just enough uh, to pull away there at the end. That's that's all you can ask for. That is what when, when you got a quarterback like that, all you got all you got to do as a defense is just cause the, the other team to commit turnovers. That is all you have to do, and you are going to be cooking with gas there, my friend. Uh, outside of that, though, and, and it's it's a flaw. Again, not 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 outside of that at all. Just focusing in on that there specifically. It's a flaw in that defense that will surely come back to bite them if they take care of business and make it all the way into the playoff. Uh, I'm looking squarely at if they end up in that um, number three spot. I think they probably are going to end up just ahead of TCU if that's how it all ends up being. Assuming that it all ends up chalk, which is a big big assumption, uh, but it just racks my brain too much to go through all the chaos scenarios. So we're just going to assume it's chalk. And that's just going to be Georgia 1, Michigan 2, USC probably there at 3, and then TCU at 4, or or vice versa. Either way, in the first round, they're probably either going up against Georgia, or they're going up against Michigan. And um, I'll tell you what, man. (laughs) Neither of those offenses really turn the ball over, and both of those offenses will kick the piss out of you if given the opportunity. And just kind of looking looking at the defensive stats in this one, 
They ended up okay on the ground, quite frankly. I mean, giving up three and a half yards per carry. They're going to have to be even better than that in the coming weeks uh, against <laughs> against Stetson Bennett and and against J.J. McCarthy. Or really, just more 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 aptly against Kenny McIntosh, Donovan Edwards, and uh, Blake Corum. I mean, either way, they have they're going to have their hands full. That's all down the line, though. That, that that's all down the line for for right now. All they need is Caleb Williams, and they can win any regular season game you want them to. They can certainly win this Pac-12 title game, and I expect them to. Probably not going to end up betting on that game, but we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. My key takeaway in this one, uh, well, it looked a whole lot like chaos, but I think the committee finally has come around uh, to my thinking. USC is in a winner in, in their in scenario this weekend. And I think that's very plain to see in that Pac-12 title game versus Utah. I don't know if it matters necessarily how impressive they look. I think with all the chaos going on around them, I think everyone has kind of come around to what I'm thinking. All you got to do is win. You just win and you're in at this point. I think they've earned that at this point by just not losing what other teams have. If they lose, they're out. I mean, Plain and simple, it's win or go home right now, or more aptly, win or go to a different big time bowl game. That's not the, uh, not not the um, what's it called, the playoff. Excuse me. Um, that being said, um, outside of that, you just got to go out there and win. And what what more is there to say? It's plain and simple. It's easy to say, not quite as easy to do, especially with with the way Cam Rising tends to play against the USC. I mean, he gets he gets the smelling salts out and just gets ready to go for that USC game every single year. But again, we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, one last look at the like specific rivalry week games uh, before we just kind of get some get some quick hits, get some uh, coaching carousel talk going in here about uh, Mississippi State versus Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl over here. I uh, was kind of hoping this would be the death knell for the Ole Miss program. Quite frankly, I was hoping to just pull up the popcorn and uh, watch the Ole Miss program just fall apart. But Jimmy Sexton had other plans, and uh, I will take the window. Window, thank you very much. That was awesome. Two-point win, 24-22. Barn burner there, classic Egg Bowl. Coming right down to the very end, failed two-point conversion. But you know what? Did Will Rogers look good? No. In fact, he tried his damnedest to cough up the game uh, with that fumble on the Ole Miss goal line. He had three damn turnovers and got flat-out outplayed by Jackson Dart, who has not looked good this year. So to say I'm happy with the quarterback play would be wholly inaccurate, to say the least. I... I am about tired of watching Will Rogers play for my team right now. I'll put it that way. And now, speaking of which, we're in an awkward position as a program because basically every fan, including myself, like I just said there, is sick, absolutely tired and fed up of watching Will Rogers just be a statue back there with a noodle arm, not pushing the ball down the field, not moving whatsoever, not extending plays, not getting the team, uh, not elevating the level of the team, rather, just putting up big-time numbers against terrible competition and then absolutely folding like an accordion against teams that are actually worth a damn. That is absolute fact, and you can go back and look at the stat lines. It'll play out right there before your eyes of what Will Rogers is. That is flat-out what he is as a QB. And now we're in that awkward position because everyone hates him. No one hates it. Hate is a strong word. No one really wants him there is the main thing. But he's on pace to have every single passing record in, in SEC history, and he refuses, absolutely refuses to do us a solid and hit the transfer portal right now. No, he's going to ride this eligibility out till the very end, and with all those goddamn COVID years, he might be there until like 2024 or something, which would absolutely be catastrophic 
for the progression of the program. Something needs to be done there. Uh, so probably going to come back next season. And as a result, Sawyer Robertson, who I've been pining over, looking forward to seeing take the reins because he's a damn athlete. He's got an arm. He's got a live arm and he can move around inside, outside of the pocket, wherever you want to. I don't care if he's a turnover machine. I just want something that looks different from what we're getting right now with Will Rogers because I've seen the ceiling. We've already hit it. We've bumped up against it many times and not been able to break through. And we never will with Will Rogers, quite frankly. So, Probably going to end up being a transfer portal guy, Sawyer Robinson. Probably going to force him out the door. Mike Leach needs to make a change. I, I'm not looking forward to the future here as a Mississippi State fan, but the one thing that's going to make it better is Mike Leach needs to put the big boy pants on and make a change there at quarterback. I think he has the stones to do it, and he needs to flex him right now because not for the bowl game. Let him play out the rest of the season, but there needs to be a quarterback change going forward. If we want this program to continue to be at the level that it's at right now, if not like slightly better. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and lie straight to your face and say that this can be a 10-win every year sort of team. That's just simply not the way Mississippi State is built, especially when you've got the lowest athletic department budget in the entire SEC, but you have got you have got to get a different quarterback in there because it is simply we are past the point in the history of college football where you can get a pocket passer and still expect to have like winning games down the stretch you need a guy who can move around you need a guy especially and if you can't move around you at least need a guy who has a cannon for an arm just will rogers I, I, he's probably a good guy i don't know him personally but he is he's reached the ceiling of his talents he's not going any farther you need a guy who can take the, the program or at least keep the program afloat keep him like eight nine wins sort of team pushing for nine or ten wins on a good year I'm not asking for a whole lot. I'm just asking for consistent consistency around like seven to nine wins. That's all I ask for just about every year. Maybe a down year here and there, but we're, we're trending towards six and six, five and seven if we keep Will Rogers in there going forward. It's bottom line. But hey, back to the happy stuff here. Credit to the defense. Let, they let Ole Miss drive the length of the field after that boneheaded fumble by... Uh, by Will Rogers down on the one-yard line, which should have put us up uh, a score or, or an extra score there. Ended up giving Ole Miss a chance to win the game, but that is that is what you get sometimes. I digress on that front. I'm done talking about the quarterback situation. But that being said, let them get the touchdown. It was 22-24, to 125 left, but held strong and denied the two-point conversion to preserve the win. Uh, as has been the theme all year, the offense will be dazzling in games that don't matter. They'll put up 50 points against Akron or someone like that. They'll beat the absolute piss out of ETSU. They'll put up all sorts of, of uh, numbers in games that don't matter against defenses that simply don't match up to the talent on the offensive side of the ball. But when all is equal and push comes to shove and you need a big play and it's nut-cutting time, the offense is well-matched, the defense is, is well-matched. It's simply... Mississippi State needs a play. The defense is the unit that steps up to the plate every single time. You think back to, help uh, Forbes, Emmanuel Forbes. I think he's the current leader in the nation, uh, at the very least, current leader in the SEC in interceptions right now. 
he got a pick six that in that game against Kentucky to keep us in the game, and then Will Rogers just simply decided that he couldn't do it against that that Kentucky defense. That's another. I mean, again, just go look back at, at Will Rogers' career every time he's faced a defense that is worth a damn, and you will see what I'm seeing right now. I am tired of it. I'm ready for a, for a change there. But again, I keep getting back to the quarterback situation when it's I, we're at, we're in happy times right now. All right, the, the defense has been spectacular all year. I just hope that through attrition. They don't uh, don't regress back to the mean of what they were before. That being said, I digress on that front. Credit to Ole Miss, by the way, getting out of the Mississippi State stuff because it is. I want to talk about a, a little bit more optimism rather than the doom and gloom of what I'm feeling right now about the future of Mississippi State football. I mean, credit to Ole Miss, though. It, it pains me to give them credit, but credit has to be given here. I am nothing if not objective. So, for keeping the shit of keeping the ship afloat. Not easy to do. I think Jimmy Sexton was gonna get his client, uh, the hot, gonna sell his client to the highest bidder. Pretty much, he was gonna either go to Auburn or he was gonna go go to Ole Miss. Whoever gave him the biggest package was gonna get the uh, gonna get the prize there at the end. And Ole Miss's AD had the stones to pull the trigger, flop his nuts on the tables, be like, "Hey, Kiffin, we're gonna give you an offer you can't refuse." Now, much to my chagrin, you keep Kiffin. Probably keep. Well, you're definitely keeping Judkins. Now you're keeping all the all the weapons outside of Judkins on that offensive side of the ball. And most most importantly, you keep the core together on that defense that has been one of the better, low key, one of the better defenses in the SEC this year. They should be an even better team next year. As much as it pains me to say. I, I feel like they're going to be a very good team. I can't say I feel the same optimism in relation to Mississippi State between losing John Cohen at AD, got to hire a new guy there, and there's no there's no guarantee that the new guy is going to end up being a good hire, so I just hope they hire someone that ends up being good. And Will Rogers for refusing to let the program move forward. Between all those things, not to mention all the players we're about to lose in the draft and uh, probably the transfer portal as well, we need a billionaire or two with nothing to do in their free time but make Mississippi State football a powerhouse. And as it stands, I uh, mentioned it there earlier, but we have the lowest athletic department budget in the entire SEC. Lower than Vandy, lower than just about anyone, well, actually lower than anyone you can think of. Lower than Missouri, lower than all of them. So that's obviously not the current situation. Until then, I'll just I'll just be happy with seven to nine wins. We're just... We're just mismanaging assets here, folks. Mismanaging assets and not doing enough fundraising. It is what it is. But I digress. Um, let's go from the major matchups to big-time upsets this week because there's just not enough time to get to everything here. Let me, let me see how I'm doing on time. Just about an hour. Yeah, let's get through this. Uh, the, the upsets here real quick. First off, NC State outlasted number 17 UNC in double overtime, 30-27. to 27, uh, RIP to that UNC minus 6.5 bet that I made. Oh, excuse me. It is what it is. Um, probably shouldn't have gone up against that 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 NC State defense, but I mean, every time I think the NC State offense is so bad that that it'll bring down the entire team. Uh, the defense reminds me that they are in fact still very very good, and that is exactly what happened. Um, I got got. It is what it is. What do you want me to say? Uh, Drake May had another bad performance, and Ben Finley looked like a serviceable QB going against that. Terrible, awful, maybe the worst in the entire ACC UNC defense. Uh, what a disappointing home stretch for UNC. I mean, they started nine and one, ended up losing two straight now to end the season. Uh, they still have the ACC title game, but 
all the wind has left the sails right now. They were maybe looking at a possible outside shot of making the playoff and maybe getting Drake May into the Heisman conversation. Now, all that's out the window. You're just playing for bowl placement at this point going forward. Um, as far as Texas A&M, well, up next, rather, Texas A&M ended the season on a high note by knocking off number 5 LSU 38-23, and that would have all been bad news because it would have given Jimbo Fisher all of the credence he needed to say, I told you so, and just keep riding with what he's been doing on offense. But uh, the most important news here was not even the game itself. Jimbo Fisher got rid of the current offensive coordinator. I can't remember the guy's name for the life of me. From what I understand, he's got a good resume, so he's not going to be unemployed for long. Someone's going to hire him somewhere, uh, just not necessarily the right fit with Texas A&M right now. So looks like he is finally realizing, Jimbo that is, that he needs to change the offensive philosophy a little bit if he wants to get the most out of the players that he has. He scored 38 in this one, but in order to do that consistently, you're going to have to make a few changes as far as... Uh, Probably going to want to adopt a bit more of that jet sweep motion type of stuff. Uh, get the defense on the move. Get them that eye candy. Get get it more spread out. Get more movement in the offense in general. I mean, just, you just need to overhaul top to bottom. I mean, you just need to make over, modernize the offense. I don't know that you necessarily need to do a whole lot of difference as far as like what you're trying to accomplish on different plays. Just kind of get a bit more pre-snap pre motion. Uh, a bit more, bit more route concepts like down the field. I suppose I don't know what the specific, um, I don't know what the specific problems are that are ailing them. But they just need to, they just need to spruce up the offense a little bit. We will know by the off, by how the offense looks next season whether or not that's truly the case, of, or whether you know Jim Jimbo Fisher's just getting a retread in the same old uh, offensive philosophy, just getting a new name in there. We will find out. Fairly quickly next season, just based on how they approach the the early going. Um, probably not going to tell anything from the early early going, but once they get into the SEC play and we see how that offense looks against uh, legitimate defenses and what they're trying to do, what the what the offensive philosophy looks like, we'll know what the we'll know what Jimbo's all about in this one. But we won't really know for sure until then, unless they go out and make a big time splash hire. But again, won't know until it happens. Uh, moving on to the, the next upset, South Carolina shocked all the college football world by going into number eight Clemson's Mickey Mouse Death Valley. LSU is the real one. Don't let anyone tell you different. And beating them 31 to 30 to definitively stamp out their playoff hopes. A, a two-loss Clemson team is thankfully not even going to sniff the playoff, and I, I would thank South Carolina profusely for that. Uh, Spencer Rattler also continued to make it difficult to like him. Uh, just created a shot-for-shot -shot recreation uh, of the Joe Burrow smoking a cigar after the national game, a national title game uh, win thing that, that same sort of video you know what i'm talking about smoking the smoking the cigar in slow motion blowing out the the the, the smoke and trying to look cool um uh, i'm not knocking the celebration i mean cigar is a classic when you win a big game i can't knock that at all especially beating your rival who you were not expected to be even close against in this game i mean hats off to you gotta gotta celebrate where you can but Joe Burrow didn't seem to give half a fuck about the cameras. Meanwhile, Spencer Rattler felt like he was seeking them out. Like he was straight up looking at the camera, making faces to the camera like, Oh yeah, that's a nice cigar. That's awesome. I'm so awesome. This was, this was great. You threw a pick six on the goal line. You made another turnover right down there in the red zone. You almost cost your team the game. The fact that you won it all is a credit to the special teams more than anything else. Just playing Beamer ball, ball if nothing else. I mean, shout out to Shane Beamer over there getting getting the win where you needed him to. Um, that being said, I don't I don't want to just 
I don't want to just besperse the man's character. He just makes my butt itch, though, man. I don't, I don't love seeing the way Spencer Rattler comports himself. But you know what? I hope, I hope well for the kid. I don't know the kid. I don't know the kid at all. I do think that he's only what 20, 21 years old. People can change. He can mature. I know he can. So I'm not going to hold his behavior in college against him too, too much. Uh, that being said, also Joe Burrow won a national title, national championship game. Um, and had just capped off probably the greatest quarterback season in the history of college football. And I would implore anyone to come the fuck at me if they think differently. Go look at those. Go look at those those stats that Joe Burrow had in that 2019 uh, 2020 LSU season, and tell me that's not the greatest season in college football history from a quarterback. He had 60 touchdown passes. He had 5,600 yards. I mean, just torched every single team that they put in front of him. I mean that's that's that that's what it was. There's the reason, and he, then he looked cool as hell, not giving a fuck about the cameras, leg crossed, just smoking a cigar, slouched back, looking comfortable as you can look. Still the most iconic video, uh, maybe of all time when it's all said and done. A little bit more competition in that one than there is as far as his quarterback season is concerned, it being the greatest of all time there. But the bottom line is, you and Spencer Rattler, you are not the same. Just not the same people, uh, Spencer Rattler and, and Joe Burrow. Either way, regardless of all of that, Spencer Rattler does make it tough to like him, but I would like to thank him. I, I do want to big up... Jeez, easy for me to say. I do want to give a big old shout-out and a big old thank you to Spencer Rattler for putting Clemson out of the playoff talk uh, because, boy, boy, oh boy, do I just want to keep my exposure to uh, self-righteous, holier-than-thou uh, Dabo Sweeney lectures to just the barest of bare minimums. Uh, if I if I really can, just I just just want as little exposure to that as possible. Don't show me his damn post-game press conferences, any of that. I don't want to see his smiling, smug face telling me some bullshit ever again, quite frankly. But I know I'm going to have to. So if nothing else, I just want to keep my exposure to that to the bare minimum. And I will, again, thank you, Spencer Rattler, because you have helped me accomplish that goal, if nothing else, with your with your performance there. Shout out to you. Also, South Carolina's defense keeping DJ Uyunglele under 100 yards again. A um, lot, of, lot of questions there, both in the offensive staff. Maybe you look at some questions with DJ Uyunglele on the whole. Again, not not one to uh, make personnel changes there from afar, but seems like he got some issues over there on the offensive side of the ball. Who's to say? Uh, anyways, moving on to the final upset of the day. Uh, number 21, Oregon State completes a wild, wild comeback to knock off their, their rival. Number 9, Oregon, 38-34, ruining their Pac-12 title hopes in that Civil War game up there in Oregon. Uh, talked about it in relation to Bo Nix's performance already, so I figured this is probably the uh, the appropriate section to discuss so I don't spend too much time on one game. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Oregon State was down 31-10 to at one point, with just, just under five minutes left in the third quarter. They went on from that point to score four straight touchdowns while only giving up a field goal. That's a 28-3 run if you're counting at home. Who's to say, though? Uh, the defense held Oregon to a fumble and two turnovers on downs in their final three possessions of the game. Then on top of that, the offense closed out the game by getting a first down on the final possession and just kneeling it out from there. I mean, just what a clinic that Oregon State put on down the stretch. They were unstoppable in that fourth quarter, and what a collapse down the stretch from this for this one, for Oregon in this one, Jesus. Um, 
Not Jesus, just Oregon, but what a display of grit and determination from Oregon State, capping off an improbably successful 9-3 and season. I think they were expected to have like six wins coming into the year, if even that many, and in the most satisfying way possible getting that ninth win. What more can you ask for? You're not going to the Pac-12 title game. Why not just rub it in the face and just pissing the Cheerios of your rival on the way out the door. That's exactly what Mississippi State did to Ole Miss, and that is precisely what Oregon State just did to Oregon. Kudos to them for knocking off uh, knocking off their rival in this one. Uh, with that, though, that's pretty much the end of the game, so let's get to some quick coaching carousel moves. I'm just making changes all over the board today, but uh, tis the season, so a lot, a lot of movement and a lot, a lot of extensions being signed, so let me just run through the major news real quick. Shouldn't take me too, too long, because we are still kind of early in the process here. You're really going to start seeing some names move uh, throughout the course of this week and going into next week once the conference championships are done. Um, first off, we got Luke Fickle. Biggest news of the day, obviously, shocking the football world by, by going to Wisconsin, taking that Wisconsin job. Uh, slam dunk, just everything about this uh, recruiting base is tailor-made for success in the style that Fickle wants his team to play. Uh, probably going to have to make some facilities um, upgrades, rather, uh, throughout the course of the offseason and, and going forward here, but I, I, I'm sure Luke Fickle has gotten assurances and all that stuff, so I think, what, what, does, what do they want to do? What does Wisconsin want to historically do? Play defense, run the football. What does Luke Fickle want to do? Play defense, run the football, don't turn the ball over. They're just tailor-made for each other. He just might have a bit of an upgrade recruiting-wise at Wisconsin, rather, to what he had at Cincinnati. Initially, I was shocked by this. I absolutely was floored by the fact that he would leave Cincinnati at all for any job not named Ohio State. Um, that being said, the more I look into this, the more I think this is a slam dunk for both sides. I think he raises his profile. Wisconsin has a better better job at Wisconsin to go out there and just build a winning program year after year. I think he's going to have Wisconsin ranked basically every season that he's there. But even more than that, I mean, still, this is a job where, again, similar to where it was with Cincinnati, I don't think he, except for, for good this time, because he's in the, in the Big Ten in a division that he could probably outright dominate for years to come. I don't think he leaves for literally any other job at this point after he gets to Wisconsin other than Ohio State and I don't know, man. If Ryan Day comes out there and uh, lays an egg in the Michigan game next year, I think Ryan Day is probably out as the Ohio State head coach. And if Ryan Day is out as the Ohio State head coach, I would not be shocked in the slightest bit if this was just a one-year one cup of coffee at, at, at Wisconsin before he jumps ship and goes to Ohio State. But that is the lone job that Luke Fickle is going to leave Wisconsin for. Just a slam dunk hire for Wisconsin. Didn't even know his name was in the running, but they just came out of left field and shocked the world. Got the prize of the cycle, really, thus far. Although there'll probably be some big names coming up. We'll just have to wait and see. But uh, other than Luke Fickle, got Matt Rule making me once again look like a genius as he officially is announced as the next coach at Nebraska. Another slam dunk hire. I said this before uh, when I was making the pitch for Nebraska to hire him in the first place, but just go look at the track record that secured him the job with the Panthers and tell me that this isn't the exact right guy that Nebraska needs for this job right now. I mean, he brought Temple from obscurity to competing for conference championships year in, year out, every single year. Uh, he came into a dumpster fire at Baylor and quickly built that up into a perennial top 10 program with, under his governance. I think he probably could have maybe competed for a national title at some points while he was at Baylor if he had stayed there a little bit longer. But the NFL came calling. I mean, a fat stack of money came calling too, so you can't blame him there. 
he's had greater resources to work with at Nebraska, or he's going to have greater resources to work with at Nebraska, rather, than either of the previous two college stops that he's had. And all of that is to say that Matt Rule has been asked to do more with less and has excelled in those situations in the past. I said it on Twitter. I'll say it here again. Even with how bad things have been over there in Lincoln over the past couple seasons and how they are right now, I fully expect Matt Rule. I have not a doubt in my mind that Matt Rule will have them consistently ranked within two seasons. Absolutely. Three seasons tops, two seasons, I think bare minimum. I mean, maybe even next season he has them ranked, quite frankly. But I think after two seasons down the line, he's going to have this rig rolling again. Next season is a bit of a crapshoot. Could go like Sonny Dykes at TCU. Also could go like Mario Cristobal out down at Miami. It's all more dependent on that year one. Just kind of depends more on how fucked the situation is that your predecessor left you with. Outside of that, not really a whole lot you can do. It's all just kind of luck of the draw there in your first year. By year two, probably going to have a second season with a transfer quarterback. So I would, I would anticipate not really a whole lot going on with the QB situation right there. And you're probably not going to bring in a true freshman to take over that situation there right away. I would anticipate uh, Nebraska goes out there in the transfer portal market, gets someone like, like Hudson Card just went into the transfer portal today. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had to clear my throat there. But yeah, guy like Hudson Carb, he probably won't be the last uh, quarterback to go into the transfer portal. They'll probably bring in some sort of a uh, veteran quarterback from a different program, uh, probably a different sort of power five to kind of steady the ship there going forward right now. But with that said, he'll have that guy in there. Probably his second season with that transfer QB, he'll have a full complement of both his own recruits and additions to the transfer portal. Uh, he'll have an NIL uh cash to work with with the with the booster base that that nebraska has if nothing else not the greatest location in the world but boy do they have money to spend and do they have do boy do they have want to to get back to the to the ways that they were uh back in the bo polini years even i think they would be happy with that right now uh so you got all of that coming in and he'll have the culture flying he'll have fully instilled culture by 2024 and there's not a doubt in my mind that once rules settles in and he gets that culture fully installed that machine is going to get humming real quick and it's not going to take long it might be humming by by next year at the very least i think it's going to be humming by 2024 again I'll be interested to see just how much that cachet, uh, that how much cachet that uh, that that Nebraska recruiting pipeline still has in the NIL era. But like I said, they got money to spend, and I'm sure we are about to find out either way because Matt Rule has the one to has the know how. He's gonna build a he's gonna build a recruiting staff that can recruit the recruiting base that he has there. Ooh, excuse me, got some gas coming up there from the digestive tract but either way i am giddy with excitement to watch how this how this nebraska program progresses under matt rule because again this is this is what matt rule does he's a fix it guy he comes in there and he fixes programs and that is that is all i expect going forward here and uh moving on to the next bit of the coaching carousel jimmy sexton striking again what else is new he represents pretty much every college coach that you know and love uh and you know, Lane Kiffin leverages that Auburn rumor to get a bag from Ole Miss to stick around Oxford. Much to my chagrin, like I was talking about before, with that uh, that Ole Miss-Mississippi State game. <clears throat> I mean, this was supposed to be perfect. Mississippi State was supposed to beat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, which was supposed to be a fat piss in his Cheerios on the way out the door for Lane Kiffin. 
I mean, going to Auburn. Then on top of that, once Lane left, we were supposed to watch with glee as all of Ole Miss's best players hit the transfer portal. Quinshawn Judkins was supposed to be gone. I mean, probably Malik Heath. Uh, Mingo probably gone from that, that team. I mean, everyone was going to go. I mean, hell, maybe even maybe he even takes Jackson Dart with him. Who who even knows? But that's that. it was supposed to be just schadenfreude left and right, just out the ass. Just get the popcorn ready and laugh if you're a Mississippi State fan. I was ready to just pull up a seat and laugh maniacally as Ole Miss's program fell apart. And that is not at all what happened here, folks. Kiffin is here to stay for now. Who the hell knows until the Alabama job comes open. And so is Quinshawn Judkins and crew. And that is one that I think is probably going to stay a, a, his whole full three years, I would say, until he uh, just declares for the draft in two years. I don't know why he would stay a, a minute longer than that. But I'll take the Egg Bowl win, obviously. But quite frankly... Ole Miss's football program looks like their future is in a tad brighter uh, uh, position going forward than my boys down to the south of Mississippi State. And uh, I'll just leave it at that because I just talked about that at length in, a, in the context of the Egg Bowl game. So I'm just going to zip it on that one. And uh, speaking of which, everyone's favorite hilariously unapologetic, uh, unapologetic scumbag is back in the SEC, baby, after missing out on Lane Kiffin. Auburn hires Hugh Freeze to be their next head coach. And like the poet Brandon Walker so eloquently put it on Twitter, and I don't think I could have put it better myself in the wake of this hiring, either they're going to win the national championship or everyone's going to prison. That's pretty much the only two ways this is going to work out. I mean, this is either going to go very, very well, or it's going to blow up in spectacular and entertaining fashion. And honestly... I'm equal parts convinced that either either might happen here. I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen as far as this whole situation is concerned. We know how crazy the Auburn boosters are. We know how ridiculously insane the fans are with both earned and unearned degrees, but that's kind of kind of the, the the deal with the devil you make when you go into this situation. No matter what happens, I think the one thing I can guarantee from as an uninvested observer from that perspective, rather, is that this is going to be first-class entertainment from, I mean, an on-field perspective. I mean, I feel like Hugh Freeze is going to get the boys playing. If nothing else, he's going to get the boys playing. I mean, from an off-the-field perspective of all the stories you're going to hear coming out of the, the locker room from around the program, uh, just the quotes from Hugh Freeze being the narcissist that he is, just putting out crazy quotes week in, week out. I love the man to death for just how unapologetically terrible of a human being he is i mean let's not we forget that this is a man that cheated harder than just about anyone else in recruiting i mean see aj brown i mean just go to aj brown's quote alone he said and i quote when asked when after going to starkville high school which is just five ten minutes down the road from mississippi state why he didn't attend mississippi state he said and i quote they didn't shake my hand enough which i don't know if you remember what they got popped with at Ole Miss after uh, after A.J. Brown left school and Hugh, Fre Hugh Freeze got popped with all those sanctions. But uh, there was a bit of a bag exchange between old Hugh Freeze and the, and the staff and uh, A.J. Brown's family. So I think you can read between the lines and uh, see just how hard Hugh Freeze was trying in recruiting there uh, compared to his, his cohort. There's a reason why they got that number one recruiting class with... Uh, Oh boy, I can't remember the guy's name. Just a just a crazy kind of African-sounding name, but I, I love to say it. Can't remember it off the top of my head because he ended up being a bad player in the NFL, but I digress. They had players top to bottom on that team on all sides of the uh, of the ball there. Uh, tried to just talk it out and then 
hopefully it pop into my my brain but uh yeah not not coming not coming to mind there so yeah just gonna just gonna move on from that one but we all remember how hard he tried in recruiting and 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 on top of that got popped calling an escort using the facility phone lines which if you're gonna call an escort just for the love of god use a burner phone use your hell even use your cell phone Probably not going to tap into your cell phone records unless they're doing a police investigation, which I guess if you're calling a prostitute, there's a chance. But if you're smart about it, probably not going to happen, is it? So if you're going to do it, don't do it on the facility phone. But that is the type of hilarious level of skullduggery we can expect from Hugh Freeze coming forward here. Plus, this is also the guy who coached from the sidelines in an automated hospital bed so he could roll around the sidelines in a fucking bed because he had kidney stones. Like what? What are we? What are we doing here? I mean, that's probably the, that's probably the funniest thing to happen on the sidelines in an, in an NCAA game in the last decade. I mean, regardless of sport, that was hilarious. Just good, good clean comedy there for the whole family to enjoy. And regardless of what the on-field product looks like, I do think they're going to end up playing well because he does have a good offense over there, if nothing else. I'm just excited to watch that shit show unfold because boy, can you bet your ass and your bottom dollar? It will at some point unfold. It's You can bet that this shit show is going to happen. You just don't know when or how. But on a serious note, though, shout out to Hugh Freeze for, on, on a real note, reportedly, I, I think in, in the press conference, he announced, too, that he's going to retain Cadillac Williams as an associate head coach, uh, still going to keep him as a running backs coach on the staff. And I'm not sure you're going to find a guy that exemplifies the heart and soul of that Auburn football program quite like Cadillac does. So that's a, that's a huge guy going forward to retain as far as a culture is concerned. I think that, if, if nothing else, I don't know what he brings from a coaching perspective. I don't know what all he 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 brings to the table as far as uh, a tactical mind is concerned, but he loves that Auburn program. The kids love him. The I'm I say the kids, the, the players love him. Hell, they're only a couple years younger than me. I can't call them kids just yet. But, I mean, the, the team loves him. He he is good for the locker room. He, he's, the, he's the rare locker room guy that you got in the coaching staff, which is when you got that guy, you have got to keep him around. So credit to Hugh Freeze for seeing a guy to keep around when he is there to be kept around and just pulling the trigger and keeping him. So with that said, uh, moving on to the next bit of news here, I think we got the last of the, the movement. Oh, not the last of the movement out of the way. We got a couple more here, but uh, moving across the coast here, we've got David Shaw retiring as the Stanford head coach. Not going to spend too much time on this one. Uh, probably a few years too late. Uh, probably a few years later than you probably should have had this happen uh, or this needed to happen rather. I mean, once he couldn't do anything with Davis Mills, I'm not sure what else you needed to see. I mean, he was the number one quarterback, I think the number one player in the class when Davis Mills came out of high school, and David Shaw just sat on him and couldn't get more than seven, eight wins in a season with the best quarterback in the class when he came out. Does not make one lick of sense why you kept David Shaw after that, but he has a long story track record with the team for several, several years, so I understand you gotta you got to respect the guy, but... Uh, probably a few years too late. Now the program can finally move forward, but with the, the academic requirements, all that goes into being the, the, the Stanford football program, it, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a good recruiting pipeline, at least not like you had with Jim Harbaugh in town at the very least. Uh, moving on from Stanford uh, over to the extension portion of the program, Lance Leipold at Kansas, Mark Stoops at Kentucky, and Dabo Sweeney 
at uh, Clemson, our favorite on the show, obviously, all get extensions to stay put at their current schools. Uh, Liapool was really the only one to draw serious interest from the other programs, from other major programs, that is, uh, from what I understand. I think he was uh, big in play with the Wisconsin job, obviously with the uh, the, the Division Three Wisconsin-Whitewater connection. That's, that's the job, I mean, dominated for years on years on years, won a bajillion national titles. That's what got him the job at Kansas when it was all said and done. So that was probably the one that he was going to leave for. So once that was gone, you knew Leipold was going to stay put. Um, with Fickle taking the, the Wisconsin job, really didn't see him going uh, anywhere though. So I, I didn't, I, I think it's a good deal for both uh, Leipold and Kansas right now. Mark Stoops, he wasn't going anywhere, and you knew Kentucky was going to extend him. Same thing with Dabo Sweeney. With I mean, the guys won him national champion, I, national championships. I think multiple national championships. So you can't fire the guy, whether whether you like him as a person, whether he's strangling the offense or not. Again, I think they probably make some personnel changes in the coaching staff to kind of rectify the the scheme deficiencies there. But still, you don't you don't fire Dabo Sweeney after he's gotten all that success for you. Just kind of the fact of the matter. Uh, outside of that, though. Oregon offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham, not a guy that I'd heard of him until now, but if he's coordinating that offense, he's certainly earned his opportunity. He left Oregon to go take the uh, Arizona State head coaching gig. Um, really no real reaction here other than good for him. Uh, hope he can find himself some talent like he had in Oregon because that is really the key to uh, making a good offense. you got to have a good QB and good good receivers, good line, good running back. That's that's the bottom line. Need, need talent to win games when it's all said and done there. Uh, if he can do that, Good for him. Probably going to do better than Herm Edwards, if nothing else. Um, also, I think this is probably the last one there. Um, I initially saw that Willie Fritz was was in uh, talks to take the the um, the Georgia Tech job. That does not appear to be the case now. The interim coach at Georgia Tech looks to be finalizing uh, the deal uh, in order to, to stay put and be the next head coach at Georgia Tech. So I'm uh, going to kind of take that uh, take that that sort of analysis out there. But with that said, I'm going to do things a little bit differently now. We are fucking hour and 20 minutes into the podcast. Good Lord. Um, but either way, going to cut it off right there and get back to you on, I mean, with future Caleb here in the next, I don't know, day or so to talk about uh, the new college football rankings, uh, the next week looking ahead at the championship game and the pick pentathlon. So take it away, future Caleb. All right, thank you. I'll take it from your past, Caleb. Hey, it's me from the future about 24 hours later. later. Yep, there it is. A uh, little bit more tired, and, uh, well, I'm here, all right? Uh, it's it's still still unqualified analysis. Here's the, uh, the new college football rankings, though, because I recorded that last bit before they came out. So without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, starting from 25 and going down, my dumbass was not prepared to get to this point yet. So, all right, here we go. At 25, got NC State. Uh, Mississippi State at 24, North Carolina 23, UCF 22, Notre Dame 21, Texas still ranked down there at 20, though they're the same same record as Mississippi State, so I guess that makes sense, I suppose. Uh, also, Ole Miss not ranked, so suck my whole balls. There you go. Uh, South Carolina at 19, Tulane 18, UCLA 17, um, Oregon, Oregon State, LSU, and Florida State at 16 through 13, respectively. Uh, Washington, Utah, Kansas State, uh, Clemson at 12 through 9. And then 8 through, well, let's go 8 through 5 right now. Penn State, 
uh, Tennessee, Alabama, Ohio State, Ohio State being the fifth one there. And our top four right now, pretty much as everyone expected, we got Georgia at one, Michigan at two, TCU at three, and Southern Cal at four. Uh, maybe you can quibble with Southern Cal being there at four instead of at three. I mean, maybe uh, they've, they've had a few better wins here over the past couple weeks. I mean, TCU has looked like uh, a little bit less hot. I mean, well, I'll put it to you this way. Southern California looks like they're on ascension. TCU has been kind of flying by the seat of their pants the whole season. It feels like they've been right on the verge of losing like four or five different games this year. And they've just, you know, they've found a way to win close games in the end. That's what very good teams do. And yes, TCU is a very good team. Uh, Southern Cal has been whooping teams here recently. They've, they've been getting through very good competition and they've been doing so convincingly. So I would like them a little bit more at three. Either way though, it's all, it's all just a semantics game. Now, um, barring chaos in the, um, in the, whew, excuse me, in the, in the championship weekend, easy for me to get out of my brain there. Um, this should be chalk as far as we're, we're looking at here. All the teams there in the top four are going to be in championship games and TCU is the one that would be interesting. They could lose to K-State and if they lose to K-State, got one loss, there's an argument to uh, bump Southern Cal up to three and then that four spot gets very interesting between TCU and Ohio State if the rest is chalk. I mean, if, if USC loses and TCU loses, I mean, we've got chaos from top to bottom. I mean, at this point, I don't think the committee is going to include Tennessee because for better or for worse, the fact that they don't have Hendon Hooker anymore detracts from their overall ranking at this point. They are at seven, but at the same time, I, I don't feel like the committee has them at a serious seven. I would love to see them in because they really, I mean, they, they kicked the hell out of Vandy, uh, a team that's really played better than than the namesake would suggest this year. I mean, they aren't the, the usual like two and ten sort of squad. They put up some very competitive games. Um, they've, they've beaten teams that they weren't supposed to beat in the past, and that's really all you can ask of them to do. Um, and they beat them by 55, I think it was, last week with Joe Milton at quarterback. And I mean, Joe Milton has one speed, one throw. He's got a, a rocket of an arm, and he throws cannons every time. But hey, if you can even if you can go score fifty points, I mean maybe you belong in that sort of uh, playoff conversation. That being said, they would need just mass chaos in the in the championship uh, games here. Uh, they would need TCU to lose, uh, USC to lose, maybe even Michigan to lose. Just definitely not Georgia. Georgia is the one that if you want a chaos scenario, you have you you have to hope that they go in there and they beat LSU. You don't even need to beat them convincingly. They just need to beat them because LSU is not really in contention for anything anymore at this point as far as the playoffs are concerned. It's still got a bowl ahead of them, but as far as the playoffs are concerned, we, we throw them to the side because they're all, they're all the way down at 14. It, it is what it is. I, I, the fact that they went from 5 to 14 in a matter of two weeks is incredible. Love to see, Well, I don't know if I love to see it, but it's Incredible. That, that, that's the that's the main operative word there. Uh, that being said, um, Penn State up at eight. How about them still being absolutely great? They've got um, that true freshman. I think they got it. I think he's a true freshman. Uh, high highly touted. I think he's a five star sort of quarterback coming in after Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford's been playing well down the stretch though. So I 
I'm interested to see who they get matched up with in the bowl game. I hope they get like a, a Tennessee or someone in a bowl matchup. Hell, even Clemson, just so we can we can get a definitive um, demonstration of how inadequate Clemson is compared to top-level competition. Get Penn State in there. They'll prove that. Maybe not lickety-split, but they will show you right away what that's all about. Also, low-key, that Big 12 title game, top 10 matchup now. Got TCU at 3, K-State at 10. And K-State had them on the ropes last time, up three scores, 18 points. I think it was 28 to 10 was the deficit before TCU came roaring back and eventually came back and won that game. One of the several games this season, like I said, that they have tried to cough up and then just pulled a rainbow out of their ass or or a horseshoe or whatever the hell gives them good luck. You know what I mean. And came out of there with a win. Um, Either way, I think I've already spent entirely too long on these rankings Um, at this point. It is what it is. As a, as a non-invested in- entity, I'm just hoping for chaos at the end of the day here. But let's uh, look ahead at the conference championship games here. Heard me allude to it there briefly. But uh, coming up first and foremost, kind of in the um, order of which I would like to see these games. First off, we got the Pac-12 matchup. Utah versus USC. You may remember last time this one ended in a 43-42 barn burner in Salt Lake City, which ended with Cam Rising punching punching it in for the go-ahead TD with his fifth for his fifth total of the day. 48 seconds remaining in the game. Not much else USC can do, but these teams pretty much exclusively play bangers every time they match up. So this one has the potential to be the best game of the weekend. I think it's going to be the best game of the weekend. I'm expecting, if it's not a shootout, I think it's going to be a close game. Um, I do not expect a blowout either way. I think this is going to be close. Um, Really, if we even get like a fraction of the insanity that we got here last time, this is going to be a treat here, folks. And lucky for everyone It's on Friday all by itself, no sort of competition uh, in the football world, so we can all pull up a chair, forget that other sports exist on a Friday night, forget our children, forget our wives, forget all of the responsibilities we have in the day and just lock into football because we only have like a couple more opportunities to do this for, for the rest of the year pretty much and then going into next year until like August September, whenever they start playing college games again. So I need to, we need to savor this right now because we're not going to get this. We're going to get a, a big old break after this. I mean, like a, like a month or so between now and, and bowl games. Uh, but then even with the bowl games coming up, it's just a quick spurt for a couple weeks there, and then we're done. Big barren winter of college football. Nice and nice and sad note to end on there. But uh, I lean towards USC on the spread. I really don't have a I, I don't don't have a, a pick on that one, quite frankly. But I have already locked in my bet on the over at 66 and a half as far as the the total is concerned. Last time these two played, they scored 85 total points. Uh, and it seems like that sort of thing happens every time Cam Rising plays USC. We all we all know what Caleb Williams is gonna do. He's probably gonna go out there, put up three, four touchdowns, uh have some insane Patrick Mahomes-esque plays with his legs and throwing at arm angles with still having velocity on the ball, and you're going to get some points on the board for USC, probably in all likelihood 30-plus. That's probably the baseline we're looking at there. And for Cam Rising, all he's done as a starter against USC is have nine total touchdowns with zero interceptions in two games. I mean, that that's all at home, on the road, doesn't matter, Cam Rising 
torches this USC team. He had a good game last year. He had an even better game this year. And third crack at it, I would expect much of the same. Maybe look for a few more turnovers in this one, seeing as, I mean, this USC defense is elite at forcing turnovers. I mean, they've gotten so far in the season at this point. It is kind of a fluky stat, turnovers are, but it, it speaks to how opportunistic they are, uh, speaks to how much ball hawks they are on the back end. I would expect that turnovers are going to be a factor. Limiting them will likely, well, not likely, but it'll give them the best chance to win the game for Utah. Uh, if, you, if you cough up turnovers, that is the recipe for USC to get out to couple score lead, uh, take control of this game down the stretch. I expect this, though, to be the best game of the year. Not the year, but the best, the best game of the weekend. So I'll hold off to see if I can get a little less juice on USC to cover. I'm not even going to really bet that one. Uh, definitely not going to bet that one publicly, uh, but because the public's going to be all over them. So I, I'm staying away from that one, quite frankly. But Definitely taking the over uh, on this one. Made an official pick. Already locked that one in at 66 and a half. I like that. I think this is going to be in the 70s at the very worst. This is going to be uh, a track meet, hopefully, and it's going to be a fun time. And even if it's not a track meet, it's going to be fun. It's going to be physical. Uh, it's going to be low-scoring, tactical. Either way, we're in for a great game in the Pac-12 this week. Uh, moving over to the Big 12, different 12 con conference, easy for me to say. Got Kansas State versus is TCU 10 versus 3. Um, last one, by the way, I think that was 11 versus 4. That's maths right there. That, that's just rankings right there. That's that's just facts. Either way, uh, much like the Pac-12, expect fireworks in this game. Uh, Will Howard is red hot. Red, red hot coming off the uh, of leading K-State to three straight wins and two straight 47-plus point offensive outings. He's got eight total touchdowns, one interception in that span as well. Uh, he's got two interceptions all year, in fact, and that's coming in, in, in front of the bullpen uh, with Adrian Martinez having all these. I'm sure there's some sort of information on the injuries out there. College College injuries are always a bit nebulous. You never know exactly what it is. I don't know if it's a concussion issue or a shoulder issue or an ankle issue, a knee issue. Who the hell even? It could be a hip issue for all I know. could be an elbow issue. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's kept Adrian Martinez out of there. And it really hasn't mattered because Will Howard has been that good in his, in his absence. And he's only gotten better throughout the year. TCU got... Uh, got Will Howard, when he was first starting, when he first got onto the scene, when he was first coming in for Adrian Martinez, now he's been in there for a while. I don't know, man. I think TCU is favored by a couple points in this one. Kansas State might come out there and shock people. They might come out here and win by multiple scores. I'm not making an official pick on this one. I've not locked in a bet either way. But don't be don't be surprised if Kansas State comes out, gets a quick lead, and TCU just can't recover. Also, don't be surprised if they get out to a quick lead and TCU comes back because that's just what they've done all year up until this point. Meanwhile, Max Duggan has really been the player of the year on offense in the Big 12. And with the chaos of last week, he might have stumbled his way into being a Heisman finalist at this point. He might be sneaking into the top three. If he has a big performance against Kansas State, I would say that's almost a certainty at this point uh, that he's going to be one of those Heisman finalists. I have not placed a bet in this game yet once again. No spread bet for me at all. I'm, I'm staying all the way away from that. I, I could see TCU winning because that's what they've done. 
I could also see K-State coming out here, building off almost winning last time, and just kicking the hell out of TCU. I don't have a great read in the game, so I stay away. Um, if there was a, a wager for me, I would put it on the over at 61.5 if I do place one. I have not placed that one. Unlike the USC one, I have already locked that one right in. But uh, no, no pick in this one. I'm just going to enjoy the game, quite frankly. Or I'm going to make a pick, uh, and it's not going to be on air because I will have made the decision late. That's just kind of how it is, folks. It is it is what it is sometimes. Anyways, moving on to the SEC. we got the LS, LSU versus Georgia game. Uh, LSU has had one hell of a first year under Brian, Brian Kelly. Uh, and I really think that, that two years down the line, this team is going to be a legit juggernaut. Make no mistake about it. They have got the pieces in place, they've got the talent, and now they've got the discipline at coach to make it all happen. Uh, that being said, for right now, they're about to run head first, no helmet, just bald-headed straight into a industrial strength buzzsaw. And it is not going to be pretty here, folks. Uh, last I checked, Vegas had it at a minus 18.5. I think that's moved down to 17.5. I think 18.5 was a little bit overzealous from the line makers initially, but it's calibrated and kind of settled down there between 17 and 18 points. So kind of in the, in the, in the area. Either way, Vegas is not expecting this one to be close whatsoever and I'm still not touching that because I could see them winning by 30 quite frankly LSU has a bright future ahead of them make no mistake about it I just laid out what they've got in front of them right now but in the present Georgia is just simply too overpowering to compete with and at this juncture of the team construction I just I just don't see it happening maybe they make it competitive again I'm staying away from the spread because I don't like big numbers like that but Georgia seems primed to just run away with the number one seed in the playoff, and we'll see what what happens from there. Uh, either way, moving on to the ACC, we got Clemson versus UNC. This one has lost its luster from what it was shaping up to be a couple weeks ago. I'm going to be watching the Big 12 game unless that turns into a blowout uh, out of nowhere. Um, so I don't, I don't even particularly care about this one, quite frankly. That being said, it's a big stage setter for both Mac Brown and Dabo Sweeney uh, to build toward next season. That's really what we're looking. We're looking towards 2023 and beyond right now. Even with the bowl season, it's all about setting up next year because that is when, I, for better or for worse, the games right now are essentially meaningless for the present. The only thing they mean anything for is the future going forward, and you've still got uh, a great QB on one side of the ball. I don't want to get too far into the weeds there, though. It's a big-time stage for both of these teams to get some experience in these sorts of environments, particularly with DJ Uyunglele and Drake May, uh, who should get some valuable reps in this one. A good performance in this game, uh, followed up by another good performance in whatever bowl game each of them ends up going to, uh, would be a springboard in the next offseason to start building towards something even better next year. I think both of these teams have... High, high aspirations next year. I mean, hell, UNC started 9-1 this year, and they've got Drake May for one more year before he is almost certainly a top-five pick in the next draft. If they can get any sort of... If they can even get, like, a USC progression from their defense where they just get a bunch of turnovers and nothing else... UNC is going to be right in the thick of things for the playoff next year. They might be undefeated late, late, late into the year. Then again, we've thought that before and been disappointed, so we'll have to see what happens there. And Clemson, really, 
I think they know they need to make some changes in there as far as the coordinators, maybe a little bit of personnel here and there. They need to update the offense. I have not heard any sorts of good things from from NFL people about the uh, the Clemson offense really ever under Dabo Swinney. And we'll, we'll have to see what kind of changes they make, if they make any changes. Um, until that time, though, I'm, I'm skeptical to say the least. That being said, the standard is the standard over there. And when you win two national championships... The standard is the national championship. At the very least, playoff contention. So that's exactly where both of these teams expect to be next year. Uh, look for, other than coaching, though, a player and development aspects. Uh, I'm not really that interested in the outcome either way uh, now that Clemson is out of the playoff hunt, quite frankly. But looking towards 2023, this is kind of a good projection uh, game here as far as who might have a little bit of momentum going into the bowl season, if nothing else. And I think this is rounding out. Actually, no, we got one more after this. But we got the AAC American Athletic Conference. Uh, when you hear Mother, Fre- Mother Freedom start ringing her bell, it means football is on the way, ladies and gentlemen. And we got number 22, UCF versus... Uh, number 18 Tulane right now, I want to say. Uh, rematch of a very, very competitive uh, matchup earlier in the year at that very same venue down there in New Orleans. Uh, having a good time afterwards, I can assure you. Uh, last time, Gus Malzahn and UCF escaped New Orleans with a, with a big old road win over the conference leaders, but took it every... It took every second of regulation, excuse me, as Tulane made a late push, but ultimately fell just short 38-31. to Absolute barn burner in that one. Definitely worth watching if you did catch it. I expect much of the same drama this time, especially in what appears to be... Uh, actually, that's, a, that's an outdated piece of information there. Willie Fritz probably staying put at Tulane. Um, it was initially reported that Fritz was going to go to Georgia Tech, but the interim coach at Georgia Tech has, I think, signed a contract and been introduced as the next Georgia Tech head coach. That's a a total non-starter either way. Um, That being said, it's still a very successful season, and this is an in-conference rival that I don't know if both of these teams are are leaving conference next year or if it's just UCF, but uh, hey, one more piss in the cheers and the way out the door, as I like to say. All of that, I mean... 17-point lead again in this one, I would say. I mean, we'll see what happens. I don't think that's going to happen, but we'll see what happens. I think this has the potential to be every bit as entertaining as the Pac-12 championship game, quite frankly. I'm I'm not sure either of these teams. Again, it's a lot of just springboard into bowl season and into next season. Maybe get some, some tape out there for scouts and whatnot. Um, that's really what you're playing for at this point, but I expect these teams to be playing hard and really, I mean, it's a championship atmosphere for their, so they're playing for some sort of trophy. Might as well go out and get it right. Uh, also big 10 game. Speaking of, I mean, might as well go out and well, pretend like you're going to get, I mean, Purdue actually, that's disrespectful of me. They could, they could technically go out and get it. They have a a solid running defense. I think they're like top 40 in the nation run defense. They're like 3.8 yards per carry. It's worth asking the follow-up question of what types of running teams they've faced. Cause I'm not sure like outside of Wisconsin, 
maybe Illinois? What what kind of competition do you face in the Big Ten West? I'm not sure there's really a whole lot of meat on the bone as far as that con- that's concerned. Uh, so, hey, that might inflate the numbers a little bit, but by the numbers, still a solid rushing defense. And by the numbers as well, passing offense, total numbers, very good. Uh, yards per attempt, more in the back half of the FBS, but we'll, we'll brush that aside. It is what it is, right? Uh, either way, I refuse to give a serious analysis of this one. Get rid of divisions and conferences. So we can just run it back with, with Michigan, Ohio State, quite frankly. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing, quite frankly. I did this. These two teams should not be on the same field for a championship game. Purdue could make a game out of it. Like I said, it just, like, you know, technically I could go out and find $20 lying on the street right now. Doesn't mean it's likely to happen. So let's just be pleasantly surprised if it does. With that said, uh, I think I've rambled on just about long enough, about 20 minutes into this, and I really want to keep this pot under two hours. So let's get into the pig pentathlon and wrap this thing up, shall we? This is the Pick Pentathlon. Alrighty, there was a spicy one last week, I'll tell you what. And not in a good way. Not not in a, a fun spicy. I'm talking like like the bomb, basically straight habanero extract. Just burning your sinuses because the pain feels good to you for some weird fucked up reason. Just go to therapy. Yeah, that, that's what you really need to do. I digress though. Uh that's all long-winded and kind of circuitous way of saying we sucked last week. And by we I mean me. Three and six, not good. Twenty-five and twenty-nine overall. Um I, you know, who would have thought that adding more picks to the slate would make the picks uh, less likely to be accurate? That That's crazy. Who would have thought that at all? Uh, and the hot streak is over. It is what it is. The cold spell is on. Let's just hope we get through this. And you know what? It's not full full-on fade Caleb season because I have been hot on some, some of my spur-of-the-moment bets that I just don't make public because uh, I, I've certainly... Uh, there's no way to really make them public outside of tweeting them. And you know what? I want to keep my Twitter sacred as far as that. I'm not just going to be tweeting out lines. Seems like bad form, so I'm not going to be not going to be doing it when it's all said and done. Um, but certainly, uh, coming back down to earth after that five-week hot streak that I was on, it's okay to have a little bit of a downtime. Just don't lose the house on that downtime. And I have certainly, I mean, I just made a withdrawal from the sportsbook account over the past weekend. So like I said, the non-public bets, not doing bad right now. Not doing bad whatsoever. Either way, though, I'm a big irrational confidence guy here, as you've seen time and time again with the fact that I just keep stepping up to the plates with the utmost confidence and just sell you these picks ham-fisted, right in front of your face. Uh, take him or leave him. This is what we got, though. Um, I still think we got a full slate of winners here, if nothing else. So let's just get straight into it, shall we? First off, we've got the favorite. And you know what? I have changed my tune on this. Initially, hand up. You know what? I was going to go with I was gonna go with Cleveland. Quite, quite frankly, I was going to go with Cleveland. Minus seven seems like a tasty morsel on the surface. You got Deshaun Watson... He is a nasty man, and it is what it is there, but I would assume he's motivated to light the team he left on fire, 
and probably make it into a blowout. So you may be asking, why did I, I stray away from that, that pick? With the Texans being so bad as they are and the Browns getting, I mean, the, the center pieces their franchise, unfortunately, back into the fold there, why, why would you go away from that one? Uh, well, quite frankly, it's kind of nothing to do with the on-field stuff. I just heard a little um, story that Tony Busby is going to be bringing in some... Well, he's got a box already. Got a box at the Texans game already, so that's one thing. And he's going to be bringing uh, 10 of Deshaun Watson's quote-unquote alleged victims to the game. And the the reasoning being, uh, you haven't had to play in front of us yet. We'll, we'll have to see how that, that works out. I'm just going to put it out. I'm staying away from this one. If, if, you know, humanitarian reasons, all that stuff, money-making is a is a, is a an emotionally agnostic game. We'll just get that out of the way right now. I don't care whether he has been done some terrible, terrible things. If he's going to go out there, and I feel very strongly that he is going to kick the piss out of someone, I will bet on him. That being said, this man has been through a lot of emotional stuff, and obviously that's that's very much putting him in in the victim chair there, which he is certainly not. He is the victimizer. That being said, though, he's faced so much public scrutiny and all of this pressure happening, and he hasn't played a down of football in, like, I think since we found out COVID was a thing. I don't think he's played a down since we found out COVID was a thing. So, like... There's no guarantee that he comes back with all that pressure, with his alleged victims in attendance, and plays well right out of the gate. There's no guarantee of that at all. So, staying well away from that because, quite frankly, I don't want to be the guy that had the utmost confidence in Deshaun Watson right before he shit the bed when everyone was cheering against it. I don't really want to be really... Call me... Call me biased, call me selfish, but I just don't want to put myself in that position. So, with all that long rambling out of the way, I am going with the Steelers minus one over the Falcons just because um, I it, it's only one point, so that's a tasty little morsel there. But these are teams going in different directions. The Falcons just uh, had season-ending surgery for Kyle Pitts. They're still starting Marcus Mariota, so that's always going to be a disadvantage from the throwing category. Um, the Steelers, on the other hand... the T.J. Watt is back. The defense is playing better accordingly. Uh, Kenny Pickett is only getting better and better as the season goes on, and he's getting a little bit more rapport with those receivers. I think they do need to draft at least one more guy. I've already been over that, so I'm not going to beat the hell out of that dead horse anymore. But I just feel like even with the Steelers on the road, I think they just find a way to come out here and get a win here. Minus one is a good number, so I am taking that there with the Steelers over the Falcons. Underdog, I will be less long-winded on this one. It is the um, Jaguars going on the road to the Lions, and they got so much leeway from Vegas after what they did last week, didn't they? I mean, what the hell? They're going on the road uh, after a big-time game, after a big-time emotional win, and they are favored by one. Sure, the Lions just almost beat Bills, but that's an almost. They still lost. They still got that bad taste in their mouth, and you're coming at home. 
I, I think the Lions are going to, I don't know if they're going to run all over the Jags, but I think they're going to win this game. Plus one on the Lions. Give me that right this second. And you know what? We're calling a bit of a read option here on the over. All right. You're going to have to bear with me because it's going to be one of two different bets based on how the cookie crumbles here as far as injury news is concerned. If Justin Fields plays, I'm going back to the well. Where else would it be? Bears, Packers, it actually moved up to 43 and a half. But, I mean, if unless they set it all the way up to like 45, I am still all over that number right now. I think if Justin Fields plays, that is the way I am going with that one. If he doesn't play, however, the Rams, over Rams, uh, Seahawks over 41 and a half. Um... Let me just get into it here. If I want to be a cheating cheater who cheats, by the way, I could go, you know, look at my, my little sportsbook account and say, oh, well, how about that? I was looking at the early week 13 lines and, you know, just, just scrolling through on my chosen sportsbook. And, well, just lo and behold, I saw a line that didn't quite make sense, locked it in. So if I want to be a cheating cheater who cheats and uh, give you a one that I really feel good about, I did lock in the Vikings Jets at over 43 points, and I don't know how or why they set that line, but it's already up to uh, it's already up to 45 and a half right now. So, yes, your your boy swooped in while there was value to be had, but that doesn't exactly help y'all, does it? And I'm just I'm trying to help y'all make money as much as I'm trying to help me make money. So. That's a great bet for me. Y'all can't be a part of it, though, unfortunately, unless you got in early like I did. So it's going to be either Bears-Packers at 43.5 or Seahawks-Rams at 41.5. That being said, though, with all that said, I'm doing something a little different because I don't know if Justin Fields will be out there. So if he is out there, 43.5, not nearly enough points. Give me that game, especially if Jordan Loves is starting, which he's not. It's going to be Aaron Rodgers, but it's still the Bears defense. I expect the Packers to score some points and if he's not out there that scares me away so a backup plan I'm taking uh the the Seahawks Rams over 41 and a half I think it's still 41 and a half and it's held strong there if it's moved up a point I'll still take it uh because the Seahawks they just let they just had the Raiders hang 40 on them 40 big old points and uh I know that offense is going to get their points so 41 and a half feels like the play here. I feel like Bryce Perkins is going to get that that defense all in a blender on Sunday with his running ability. Again, all based on the status of Justin Fields. This is either this is an either or situation rather. I will not pick both of these games. If Justin Fields is in, it's Bears Packers. If he's not, it's Seahawks Rams and take that for what you will. Uh my under I am going with I do not have the actual number here, so let me pull that up real quick. I just kept it blank for shits and gigglies. Uh, looking at the ESPN line here, though, we've got yep, Titans Eagles is what I'm taking. Uh, it's actually moved down a little bit from where I saw it, but I still like it here. 44 and a half, especially, especially with Jordan Davis coming back. Then he just got activated off the IR. Uh, he's coming back in. That's going to be a big, big add as far as the running defense for the Eagles. I don't think the Titans are going to be able to score a whole lot. And conversely, I think Vrabel's going to just suck the air out of it and just suck the, the entire air out of the entire building, quite frankly. Did I, did I put the sentence together well? I think I did. Either way, 
I also know that Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni will play any style they need to to win a game, whether it's scoring 40, whether it's scoring 20. They just want to win the damn game and, you know, got to gotta respect the hell out of that. So I like the, the under here, rather, at 44 and a half. And for Thursday Night Football... God damn, the line just keeps moving on me, and it just keeps moving in the in the wrong direction, quite frankly, from what I'm trying to get to. Uh, I think it was five or minus five to Buffalo, or minus five and a half the last time I looked at it. Uh, it then went down to minus four and a half, and now it is at minus three and a half for Buffalo. Um, I still like the Patriots, though they're on the they're at home rather. Uh, hosting the Bills. Josh Allen is not healthy. Don't let anyone tell you different. Even with the, the few extra days of rest, he didn't look good against the Lions and the Patriots defense. I, I hate to break it to him, better than the Lions, quite frankly. And Bill Belichick, very, very good at interdivisional matchups. I think they find a way, if no, if no, if nothing else, to cover it. I liked it a lot better at, at plus five, but I will still take plus three and a half with the Patriots here. So one more roundup going down the list for the favorite. We've got the Steelers at minus one. We've got the Lions at plus one for the underdog. For the over, we have got the either read option, audible, audible. We've either got the Bears Packers at 43 and a half. We got the Rams Seahawks at, actually, let me get the, the updated line here because... I've got it pulled up here. Actually, it's it's down to 41, so I will take that half point. We got Seahawks Rams at 41 if Justin Fields is not good to go. And also Titans Eagles under 44 and a half and Patriots plus three and a half. Uh, happy gambling, folks. Uh, bet the beer money, not the rent money. You know the drill. Either way, that is it for this uh, final little addendum of unqualified analysis. Adding on to the end, for you, you've been like, oh my God, it's at, we're at what? Two hours now, basically. Just short of two hours. Thank God he's finally done. Either way, that's all for this episode. If you enjoyed, subscribe. Leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't, can't blame you. These these episodes are getting quite lengthy, but you can take that opinion to the grave and just tell people you loved it anyways because I'm trying to grow this bad boy, as I've said a couple too many times now. Uh, I release episodes two times a week. That's two times. Uh, college football on Thursdays, NFL on Tuesdays. Said that totally, totally backwards, but it all ended up working out. Also, Monday night on Thursdays. Monday night recap on Thursdays to wrap up whatever NFL week it happens to be. Uh, any additions or changes, I will let you all know as as they occur, follow me on my socials at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Bloc name. I'll do it for you. I'm just that good of a guy. Uh, if you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That is unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put business or show in all caps in the subject lines. So you can be categorized accordingly or just tell me to go fuck myself. That's also an option too. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into Unqualified Analysis though as I itch my nose on the way out here. Just poor form. Either way, uh, as always, I've got no idea what I'm, I'm talking about. I'm just gonna, gonna stop talking now except for before I stop talking, I got one more thing I learned this week and continuing the series on Qatar because the World Cup is still going on and I haven't run out of fun facts yet, uh, this week, or this final, easy for me to say, this final fun fact of the week, uh, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Qatar, much like the Sovereign Wealth Funds across the Middle East, uh, it's a big tool for setting up national wealth slash international influence for a world that no longer runs on fossil fuels. If you can't control, if you can't control uh, other other countries, 
and exert influence with your mineral wealth in a, in a, in a, in a world rather that doesn't have like, like oil energy per se anymore. They're still going to have plastics and all that. That's another conversation for another day, I guess. But if you're not going to have that sort of influence, owning big old, big old portions of stock, not a bad sort of, uh, of, of substitute either. For that reason, I'm not going to go through the whole investment for portfolio though, because it is massive, giant, but just think of, close your eyes, just, just think of in your mind, just first off, blackness, clear Clear all your mind out. You're just a sea of blackness in your mind right now. In your mind's eye, you just see nothing but a dark night sky. Nothing at all. You're just swimming in a dark night sky. Now that you have totally cleared your mind, imagine, if you will, a prominent publicly traded company, all right? Now now that you've got that publicly traded company in your head, I'm, I'm sure it's one of those Fortune 100 companies you're thinking of, uh... And one of their top five shareholders is probably a Middle Eastern nation sovereign wealth fund. You can go and check that if and you want to. If not top five, just go check the top 10. They're probably in there somewhere. One of the largest shareholders of Twitter before Elon Musk, uh, for instance, uh, was the private uh, private wealth fund of Saudi Arabian. Uh, Saudi Arabia, rather. I just totally butchered that whole set. Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund. That's who was the biggest uh, shareholder of Twitter before Elon Musk took control. Um, the investments are a way that these mineral-rich nations can exert their influence at a corporate level without rev leveraging their oil or natural gas supply power. Uh, not saying that that's good or bad. It's just kind of the reality. People that have power want to keep it and they want to have uh, ways of keeping it. One way of of Keeping it is by making your money that you have just sitting around grow and use it as as influence while you're growing it. I see that as a win-win opportunity there. Uh, that being said, uh, focusing more on the Qatari Sovereign Wealth Fund, though, many people may not realize this, but not only are they invested in several iconic corporate brands, we just talked about that, uh, the fund is the major majority owner, rather, of French soccer club Paris Saint-Germain, uh, that name may ring a bell to you if you're a soccer fan because they're the best this best French league team uh, in the world from what I understand. Uh, I don't really know soccer. Don't come at me on that. Uh, that being said, it also may ring a bell because they backed up the Brinks truck to go get Lionel Messi uh, up out the paint from Barcelona who could not could not front the bill because they are big old broke boys over there uh, about a year and change back. Um, that being said, there you go. Sovereign wealth funds of these Middle Eastern nations, uh, they look, look at the investments. You'd be surprised at just the amount of, of Middle Eastern money, uh, just that dirty, dirty oil money that you are seeing in, in U.S. stocks. And I'm sure it just, ooh, it just chaps your ass, but that's just, hey, we're not the only country in the world, Americans. That's the one thing we can take away from this, but I'm not going to get philosophical on you. I'm just going to leave you here, uh, with that. So, deuces.